0: you to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter
1: Baracchini, and Alex Hopson. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 63 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with one of my co-hosts tonight, Peter Baracchini, and Alex is taking the night off. Uh, lots going on. Um, Peter, our team, our boys in blue, they are sitting up in the top three in the league overall after 23 games, playing in some incredible hockey, even with guys missing with Kashe obviously, out of the lineup for a little bit. Um, you know, Peter Morazic really hasn't been the Peter Mrazek that we were hoping for spending most of the time on injured reserve but first of all how are you doing this week
2: uh just a big shout out to alex man um love you buddy um and i know i know you'll be back next week but just letting you know that man um good week good week overall celebrated celebrated my b-day um i i i went like on the day of i we did some you know booze shopping for the Christmas holidays, you know, might as well have some stuff in the house in case we wanted to drink and everything. And I treated myself to a nice bottle of whiskey. And I'm telling you, Seagram's whiskey is probably the smoothest thing I've ever had. Better than JD, better than Crown Royal. I mean, just any, just, it's, it, it was just so smooth. I had like a little shot and then I had a mixed drink and both went down perfectly. And I'm telling you, my recommendation is if you ever have Seagrams, give it a try because it is absolutely awesome.
1: Okay, I'm gonna interject here for a second because I am on an I like an absolute whiskey tear right now. Um, oh, I, I love. Perfect. I'm a big Gibson's guy. I love my Gibson's. Uh, Gibson's 12, is good. Twelve year old rare. Good. Um right now I'm going through a bottle. Actually I have a glass of it in my hand right now. The toasted nice. maplewood stave finish Collingwood Double Barrel Canadian whiskey. Ooh, that's enough. So, yeah, so the Maplewood uh toasted Maplewood Collingwood whiskey. Um it's 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 a great uh, a great uh, great drink. a little bit on ice or uh, you know, a little little coke for taste. Uh mm-hmm. never never hurts, but I I have to say it's one of the smoothest I've ever had. Um, I want to try the, I believe it's the White Owl. Is that the one that's called? White Owl? Um, I, I've never heard of that. This is the first time I'm hearing of it. There's a white whiskey out there right now called, I think it's White Owl. And I'm going to give it a go probably after I finish this bottle here. Um, And then I'll definitely be checking out the Seagrams on your recommendation. So Mm -hmm um yeah i mean whiskey whiskey over the holidays it's uh beer in the summer whiskey on the holidays that's the way i yeah. I, I, I like to ride that bus
2: i was like i improvised i was gonna make a i made a seven and seven but i didn't have seven up and i just had sprite so i did s and s and sprite
1: there you go i like it i like it <laughs> i used to, that used to be my go-to seven and sevens at the at the bar there you go perfect man i I, see we connect we connect like that that's right and and to (laughs) to think 63 episodes in we still have never met folks this is uh i think this is the year i think this is the year I, i
2: i i think 2022 is going to be the day or the year where me alex and andrew do meet up for the first time um again we started this up in covid time so really couldn't meet up. I mean we could have socially distanced but it would not have been as fun as it would be in person but yeah. I I totally agree man. I do agree. Despite with you know a new variant coming out, the fact that kids are getting vaccinated, the fact that 80 80% of the whole entire country's you know vaccinated. I I, I think it's looking
1: good. I I think it is. Yeah, better than the 55 in Europe but uh yeah, I mean it's it's been a crazy week. Uh, the California mm-hmm. road trip that we we see with the uh, with the Maple Leafs used to be one of the most daunting road trips Task, for this team yeah. um, in, in recent years, anyways. But you know the the Sharks are struggling. Uh, the whole Evander Kane mess that continues to follow that team around. the The Anaheim Ducks are kind of in in the midst of a a pretty incredible rebuild to be honest honest Mason McTavish Jamie Drysdale and uh Trevor Zegras obviously there and John Gibson playing some of the best hockey he's played in a long time staying healthy
2: Troy Terry looking
1: good Troy Terry's another one yes I can't believe I left him off that list (laughs) and then obviously the LA Kings who you know always seem to get things done quietly um Beyonce Kopitar the, the the career that he's had the uh, Jonathan Quick uh, again, kind of kind of does things quietly, um, but for unfortunately for them this this past week the Leafs decided to go on a three and O road trip through the California coast. And uh, we're going to kick it off right away with Maple Leafs talk. But before we do, I do want to mention that we had some uh, some pretty incredible guests on this week. Obviously, Alex yes. was there for that. Um, and, and shout out to Avery Lewis McDougall and Sebastian Jackson from the Third Intermission podcast. Uh, they jumped on. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. But they jumped on and they gave us a little bit of a different perspective um, when it comes to the game of hockey, and you know, we had some great conversation. We talked to Kim Alou, we talked uh, Chicago Blackhawks, we talked uh, Gary Bettman. Um, but yeah, just a hell of a hell of an interview. So we're not going to eat up too much of your time with Peter and I just blabbing on about God knows what. Um, <laughs> we we will talk some Leafs. We will talk some NHL news, but uh, that's going to be the main part of your show this week. Is is Avery and Sebastian some great uh, some great intel into the world of the third intermission podcast Mm -hmm. with that let's talk about this, this road trip, this, this Leafs Cali road trip. Um, you know, there, there was some mentions that, you know, they didn't go out that much. They didn't have their days off where they spent them out on the beach or, or out on the golf course or any of that kind of stuff. They weren't going out for drinks. It was very much a focused, uh, group. Um, you had guys like Morgan Riley who talked about how it was practice every day. They didn't really have a day off over this road trip. And they come out with a three and sweep of the California teams. So, Peter, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with, you know, just asking you what your takeaways are from this this three game sweep.
2: Um, So I'm just going to talk about two out of the three because I barely stayed. I only watched one period of the San Jose Sharks game because, you know, I way too late at 1030 time. So I just watched one period of that. But good period, nonetheless, in that game. Um, Yeah, Morgan. I mean, you talked about Morgan Riley and how they didn't have any days off. And uh, before the uh, pregame comments against the Ducks, I think the thing that Keith mentioned was he wants the team to be dialed in and be focused and try and sweep this series. And ultimately they did. But I think right now, I think long, long, I mean, teams deserve a break every now and then. Like, let's be realistic. They're humans. They needed like to regroup chillax. Soak it up in the sun, I guess. But uh, I guess this time it was completely different. But they all needed to take that mental break. You know, they all needed to take the time. But I think right now is you got to – given what's happened in the past, given the playoff failures, I think this whole team has a different mindset right now. They have the work ethic. They have the drive. They have the determination. And you saw that um, during this road trip. I mean, they just came out absolutely dominating the LA Kings. Um, after they lost five, one on home ice. And I think that was kind of a bit of a retribution thing. They got revenge on the San Jose sharks after they lost on home ice. Um, they looked, uh, I mean a little bit, I think fatigue was setting in against the ducks, but that second period and early bit of the third, um, they, they got their game together and they, and the goals by Matthews bunting and Kerfoot in that span. um, really was the difference maker. And obviously Jack Campbell beat Jack Campbell, uh, making unbelievable saves. I mean, there's a reason why he's one of the top goalies right now, being in consideration for Team USA. Um, he's the backbone of this team right now and i do think that maybe we're we're seeing a different team right now cuz usually on the california road trip they would go to the beach, go on a boat, maybe do some fishing, same even if they head out to florida. I think long are the days right now where yeah, you would like to get some time off, but i think maybe now is a time where maybe you have you get that reward back when you return home after the road trip. Um I get it. You want to be in California and enjoy the nice weather because it's starting to get really crappy here in Canada. But at the same time, you know, this is their job. This is their livelihood. They go out to play the game. They they deserve to win. They deserve that, you know, they deserve to feel good about themselves. I and mean, what better than to feel good about themselves than with a massive W and sweeping a really daunting task
1: on the California road trip? Yeah, I mean, there's so much to kind of take away from this road trip, obviously Joseph wall playing some incredible hockey. And I, I kind of, yeah, I sent out a, a tweet uh, earlier in the week, just saying, you know, forget Murazik, move him if you have to, but you mm-hmm. know, keep wall in there and, and, and push for him to, to be brought up in the, in the Calder conversation. I mean, this guy has been absolutely incredible with what he's been able to do for this team so far. And, and look, I had my doubts coming in because I knew, I knew that he had some struggles, you know, in the in past, his, yeah. Yeah. In his AHL career, like he wasn't, mm-hmm. he wasn't a top notch goalie by any means. Um, and, you know, I kind of criticized him in my takeaways piece when it came to what he was able to do in his first game. He was very mechanic, uh, just seemed stiff. Um, and, and since then, he's, he's been unbelievable. He's had, he obviously 3 and 0 with a 167 goals against and 939 save percentage, including the shutout. Um, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was a 60-second overall pick. Uh, Not exactly, you know, your telltale sign that this guy's going to succeed at the NHL level. That said, I mean, we're sitting here talking about a 3-0 goaltender facing, what is it? He has 82 saves, I believe, over that time. So, 87 shots. Five goals against. Five goals against.
2: Yeah. And four of them
1: were against the Sabres, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... like what he's been able to do in Mrazic's absence, what uh, you know, Campbell giving Campbell a little bit of a rest—that's the big. That's the big thing. Obviously, you want to rest Campbell. He's he's had a, t- a huge workload over the first you know 23 games, but this is a team that you know is tied with Washington in terms of points. Um, they have a 7-17 point percentage. They have the most wins in the NHL right now with 16. Uh, their goal differential is plus 17. Nine three and one at home, seven and three on the road, and nine and one in their last ten games. They're on a four-game win streak right now. After that Anaheim win tonight, and yeah, I mean, it, it's it is a different team. It's a focused team, and I, I want to bring you back to all or nothing. When mm-hmm. you know at the end of the at the end of the game, um, the end of the show, you saw Matthews and Marner sitting in the dress room, still dressed in their in their equipment. Um, Somberly sitting in their stalls, uh, basically with this shadow cast over them. That these are the these are the stars, and they're not getting it done, right? Yeah. And you know, you, all off season you saw people burning their jerseys. You saw Leaf Nation turn on their team, and here we are, 23 games into an 82 game season. You didn't have your your star goal scorer for the first three games. You've had some injuries to battle. Um, questions surrounding JT coming off that injury in the playoffs. And yet you've got a team that's got more depth. You've got a team that's got more identity than you've ever seen in the past, I want to say four or five years. Yeah. And this, Sorry, go oh, ahead.
2: I, I, was, I was just about to say, this is very eerily similar to the Tampa Bay lightning before they turned their corner and adding the depth and adding the character as well. So, I I mean, people were always drawing comparisons to them before that, but now it, it, it's you know looking very similar even so right now.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I'm not sitting here naively thinking that the Leafs are going to go out and win the Stanley Cup. You know, I think we've I mean, it's all okay set that. It's yeah. I mean, <laughs> we've all sat in that seat and we've all made those those presumptions. I I, I want to say, but this is a team that's going to compete. Yeah. And for the first time in a few years here, I want to say this is going to be a team that makes it past the first round. They have an identity. Uh, that third line is so underrated in Comp, um, uh, Kasha, and and then you know insert a third there, whether it be Kerfoot or McKeough when he comes back. Um, you know, bunting's bunting's played well. He's playing himself into the caller conversation. I know Lucas Raymond is the favorite, but Bunting <laughs> is really playing, you know, he's playing up to up to the standard that was expected of him coming into yep. this season. Um, you know, going into tonight's game against Anaheim, David Comp has taken hundred and ninety-three defensive zone faceoffs. Okay. 193 faceoffs. He's winning at a clip of just over fifty-seven percent. Uh, he has the most defensive zone faceoffs. He has the most defensive zone starts. When in the last few years, when have you seen the Maple Leafs so confident in a guy outside of Tavares and Matthews to be that guy that takes those defensive zone faceoffs? And never, hundred ex- percent. Not ex- never.
2: It's been quite some time. Like you're going back to like 2003, 2004, like early thousands days.
1: Easily easily. And this is the guy now that you're sticking out there at any defensive zone faceoff and you're saying I'm confident that he can get it done. Yeah. That's and- that's what you want to have. And that's what the Tampa Bay Lightning have had. Again, I am not sitting here saying the Leafs are going to make the Stanley Cup final that they're going to win the Stanley Cup. I'm sitting here saying that this team for the first time in a long time has an identity and it looks good. Um,
2: two points that I just want to bring up in one, one regarding wall, um, big curveball by Keith to throw him into that game against San Jose. Not that he didn't deserve it. It's just, you know, they played the Kings had a day off and you probably would have thought that Campbell would have gone in and you know what, this is, this is the load management for Campbell. This is what the backup is supposed to do. You're not just playing back to back games you need to go in there and you need to show that you're capable of, you know, being a major factor that you can be relied on in any situation, whether it's back to back or, you know, just a day off kind of thing. And wall rose to the occasion. So good on him for that. Um, I I still won't forget that there was one point where Justin Hall created a turnover was slow to come back and Justin wall had to take a penalty for a delay of game because of that. But I, I mean, aside from that, made a little bit of a gaffe. He was really solid in that period. Um, Wayne Simmons is on a tear right now. Um, You know, I, he was struggling. I mean, he could, yeah, he has, well, he scored today against or against the Anaheim Ducks. So he has three goals right now, but he could easily be tied with Matthews and Tavares right now. Because of the fact that he's had so many great chances, and he's on a f- three-game point streak, two assists against the Kings, a goal against the Sharks, and then a goal against the Ducks, so you're you're starting to get more of the depth scoring from the bottom six, um, and 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 this is the well-balanced team. This is a very well-balanced team right now that we're seeing. I mean, yeah, you could still make the argument that you need maybe a better top six that you can improve on Justin Hall absolutely but at the same time this team is getting results and that to me is very important and right now heading into the second month where they're now a quarter of the way into the season right now this is where you get an idea of a playoff picture of who's going to be a can not necessarily a contender but who makes the playoffs and right now this month, the Maple Leafs do look like a
1: playoff team. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I'm going to jump on the Simmons thing for a second because there was one thing he said going into this California road trip is that he's not going to change a thing. Um, He's had his opportunities. He's skated well. I think he's looked the healthiest he's looked in probably three or four years. Um, But he didn't change a thing. He just kept grinding. He kept playing his game. Um, He played you know, the Wayne Train game right like he he was he was going out there being physical getting his opportunities you know getting to loose pucks opening up the ice for his his teammates and here we are talking about a a point streak where he has four points over three games two goals he's on a goal streak now with two two and two straight and uh I mean this is exactly what you want to see this is a this is a guy who's willing to go out there and basically do whatever it takes to get the job done and this is this is the veteran leadership that you're getting from this squad. This is the veteran leadership that you're going to get from a guy like Spezza, who's, you know, maybe not having the the same type of offensive year that he had last year, but he's still going out there and he's grinding. Um, you know, Wayne Simmons, 33 years old, seven points in 21 games, two goals, five assists. He has, why? Well, sorry, I should say 22 games now, he's got three goals and five assists. So eight points in 22 games. Um, you know, just incredible stuff to see a guy like that go out there and just put everything on the line and leaves it all on the ice. Um, at the end of the day, he's a guy that comes out there and he's he, you know, speaks to the media when he needs to. Uh, he always says all the right things, he's he's just a purely class act. And I mean, I've said it before with Spetsa, I love the fact that they kept Wayne Simmons around. Yeah, I love the fact that they kept Jason Spets around. I loved having Joe Thornton on the team. He didn't fit the mold that they have with these two guys. And I think that's the difference. Absolutely. You know, for for Simmons to finally kind of get things going, um, you know, it's a testament. He said something earlier in the week about how, you know, Maple Leafs practice is, is tougher than games sometimes because of the talent that he has. Uh, or that he's playing against in practice. I mean, you're talking about four incredible players in Nylander, Tavares, uh, Marner, and Matthews, and he's going up against these guys in practice practice on a daily basis. And, I mean, maybe that's that's a benefit to his game. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is a guy who can put up 20 goals easily. We've seen it. Yeah, he's a little bit older. He still plays like he could put up 20 goals. He's playing a, a smaller role, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see Wayne Simmons finish the year with 15.
2: Whether the points come or not, he's making an impact every shift, and I think to me that's important. And, yeah, you touched on the, um, the whole practice mentality, and I think that you're seeing that whatever translates into practice, you're seeing it translated into the game. They, they, they're more determined, more energetic, more lively in every situation. And uh, just to follow up on Simmons right now. So with that goal, he has three goals and eight points right now. He is already one point behind from tying last season's total of points with nine. And he played in 38 games, 21 already. And he's already close to matching his point total from last year. So if that doesn't tell you that, you know, Wayne Simmons has and has been, you know, a key factor for this team that he's an important piece and that he's showing that last year wasn't as great of a year. He's proving it. And that to me is the most important thing right now.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think, like I said, I think just having him around the room has been so good for this team, especially, mm-hmm. you know, coming off a, uh, a season with so much adversity behind, you know, the collapse in the playoffs. Um And it's great because this team needs the veteran leadership. And we talk about veteran leadership. I I mentioned Jason Spezza. Here's a guy who's played tonight was his 1200th game in the NHL, 1200 games in the NHL. Um, It just, it's incredible what he's been able to do and four goals, three, uh, three assists through 22 games. Um, I mean, I've said it before, sign this guy to a lifetime contract, put him in any, any position that you need in the front <laughs> office, and, and keep Vintage around for the rest of his career because uh, what he does in that room, what he does with those guys, and you saw it in All or Nothing, he's he's really a truly team guy. Um, and, and I don't know what your thoughts are, are on Jason Spezza.
2: Um, I, well, because he played in his 1200th, he's tied with Owen Nolan. He's one behind Keith Kachuk. He's Five behind Brand Leach right now, so he's just gonna move up that list. Um, you 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 saw his goal, and you saw the reaction from Matthews and his face about the snipe. This this is a guy that he and they mentioned it on the broadcast, and Jace, uh, I believe it was Mark Masters, and he was talking about Spezza, saying that. You know, I think Spezza said that this is a league where you have to adapt or you're not going to survive. And this is a guy who's adapted to this level. He knows his role right now. Long ago, it seemed like Simmons, long ago were the days where he's going to put up 50, 60 plus points. But he's still going to be a key factor in a bottom six role because he's got he's still got that energy. He's still got that skill set. He's still got that shot that makes him so lethal. And I'm just I'm this is going to be a really like throwback story for me. Because I remember as a little kid, you know, nine, 10 year old me, um, you know, always loved watching hockey, going to junior games and everything like that. I remember watching Spezza with the Mississauga Ice Dogs and I was so enthralled with the way that he played. I was always in shock and awe. He was my favorite player that wasn't in the NHL. And my whole family, I mean, they're not going to come on the podcast to tell you, but they would tell you how much I loved Jason Spezza in those early days. And let's bring when, him on. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, can I wake them up? Um, <laughs> uh, nah, um, but um, yeah, the fact that he played so well with the Ice Dogs. I mean, he also spent time with the Spitfires and Belleville Bulls. I was a little sad that, you know, the ottawa senators drafted him because let's face it you know I mean, lee fan um battle of ontario even as a like nine ten year old i hated that 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 happened like let's be realizing i'm glad we drafted carlo koliakovo because and i'm still mad that we gave him up for you know lee stempniak but Lee's legend Lee's least legend exactly um it, something tells me that if Jason Spezza probably would have won the Cup with Ottawa that year but they lost to the Ducks, I think maybe he would have, whenever his next contract was up, whenever he would have signed, I think he would have immediately signed with the Maple Leafs. You're seeing him play with a sense of purpose. You're seeing that he wants to be here. You're seeing everybody on the team love him, his attitude, his personality. You're seeing him go out there and give it his all every single shift. And I think that if he won that cup, he would have come here to probably help it, help the team achieve that goal quicker than expected. Because you know what? His mentality has been consistent throughout his whole entire career. This guy wants to win. And I, 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 am so thankful that he's here right now. And I hope hopeful that this team can get the job done for him because I want to see. John Tavares lifted up and then pass it over to Jason Spezza right away.
1: Yeah, no, that'd be, that'd be a hell of a scene. And, uh, I, like I said, I mean, I, I think I've said it a hundred times, Jason Spezza, I'm a huge fan of Jason Spezza. Mm -hmm. I love what he brings to this team. And it's worth mentioning that if he does continue to stay healthy and play the rest of the season, he will be in the top 100 all time in terms of games played during the regular season in the NH, in NHL history. So, uh, there are a few active players still ahead of him, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's just going to keep climbing the ranks. And here's a guy that uh, really is 23 points away from a thousand points all time as well. So, I mean, he, he's setting personal marks, and that's that's really what matters at this point in the game. Um,
2: I said we throw him into the top six just so he could get the 1,000 mark this year.
1: Absolutely. I, I he, to be <laughs> honest, 23 points. I think he could do it on the on the on the fourth line. Even the way that he's I mean- played. Let's not forget that last season he was top five in points per sixty minutes.
2: And he was also taught he was seventh in team scoring with 30 points last year.
1: Yeah. So it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility that this is a guy who could potentially reach the thousand point mark by the end of the season. Yeah. Um, and and with with Simmons, you know, heating up the way that he is, you know, who knows what could happen. Um, But one last note before we kind of throw it over to our our guests here. Um, Kyle Clifford made his second Leafs debut uh, tonight, Sunday night, against the Anaheim Ducks. Um, Not much really going on there. Obviously, it was good to get him back in the game, back at the NHL level. He played nine minutes and 35 seconds, had four hits, and, uh, you know, this time it wasn't any goalies, so it was good to good to see him back on the ice, wearing the good old forty-three that uh, used to belong to Nazem Kadri. Um, but Cliffy's back, and uh, it'll be fun to see what he adds to the lineup moving forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was an expected return for Clifford. I mean, played a solid nine minutes. He like there? He had a couple of good breaks. I mean, obviously, you know, doesn't have the best B, but he had a couple of good looks and a good a few good opportunities where he was able to get the puck in the offensive zone. Um, maybe not much has come out of it, but I, I, that, that's what you want to see um, with a player of his stature and his size and his skill set to just get to just bring the puck in, start up an attack and then try and get and start um, get the play moving. And I, I, you know, average debut, not a, like nothing stood out, but I thought he he looked really good. I mean, there's really not much you could say about that, but he is definitely going to be a factor because Dubis wanted to re-sign him. It just wasn't going to work out. But the fact now that he was able to bring him back and you saw just how happy he was when he got the call from Dubas. So um,
1: congrats on coming
2: back, Kyle. Uh, really enjoyed your game.
1: Yeah, worth noting he did lead the team uh, against Anaheim in hits uh, with four, as I mentioned. Um, one last note that uh, I, I wanted to bring up: um, I'm not going to talk about Hall because I think I've, I've kind of beat the debt. I beat the horse, you know, far we too many have. times yeah. in terms of why I don't think he has a spot on this team. Uh, I do want to mention though, Lilligren and Sandin. That pairing has looked incredible. Um, Whatever they did with this, this, these two in terms of developing, and and forcing them to stay at the AHL level for as long as they did, um, I'm incredibly impressed. I don't like the fact that either one of them comes out at any point. Obviously, Lilligren missed the, was not in the lineup tonight. Sandine was uh, tied for the least, or sorry, the fewest minutes among their defensemen with Travis Dermott. I think that is is a travesty. Um, He did have 37 seconds on the power play and 26 seconds at shorthanded. But that just goes to show you that this guy can play at any level Um, Mm -hmm. and and in any situation. Um, The only other players to have time on both were Morgan Riley, who had a minute 23 on power play, 53 seconds on shorthanded. Uh, TJ Brody is more of the shorthanded specialist, only had six seconds on the power play. And Jake Muzzin, who only had five seconds on the power play. So it kind of goes to show you just what Rasmus Sandin brings to this lineup, him and Lilligren, the poise that they play with, um, you know, we need to see more of that. And, and whether it's moving them up the lineup, um, you know, you got it. obviously Riley and Brody, your top guys, Muzzin's up there, but Dermot and Hall, you know, make way for these two, because, Sandine and Lilligren. I mean, they're they're working their way up, and they they should be there full time.
2: Yeah, and I even mentioned tonight uh, online on Twitter that you know there's no Hall looked had a pretty good couple of looks lately, but there's still no reason to suggest that he deserves to play over Timothy Lilligren. I mean, yeah, Lilligren's making some mistakes more so than he did before, but rookie mistakes, rookie. Rookie mistakes. Justin, Justin Hall is a veteran, or, some, or you, what you would classify as a veteran, because he's been in the league longer, 30 years old, and he's making the mistakes that you really shouldn't be making. And just his passing, I mean, just in general, to, uh, in this game against the Ducks, him and Muzzin, their passing was just completely off until Muzzin spotted Marner for that goal on bunting. Um, it, it, it's... It, Again, like you said, it's a travesty. Like Lilligren has paid his time. He, he every single time when he does make a mistake, he comes out and he he comes out with a better attitude and a mentality. And he looks even more determined after every single shift or every single mistake. You're not seeing that with Hall. And I do agree. like just whether you replace Hall with Lilligren or you bring somebody else in and you keep Sandina Lilligren as that third pairing. Do what you need to do, but it is it's it's just not working out with Hall. I mean, how many opportunities are you gonna give him and he's still gonna make the same poor passes, poor plays, poor pinches, everything. It's just gonna be so much and this is gonna hurt them down the line.
1: Here's how here's how I'll put it is is Justin Hall not the what kills me about him is the the giveaways behind his net, the giveaways in his defensive zone. And the passing almost seems like he's too comfortable. um yeah. almost like he's he's playing as if he's got the skill level of of Mitch Marner or the skill level of Austin Matthews, where he's very laid back with his his attitude when he's passing. Mm-hmm. and that's what that's what oh, it's cringeworthy. it's it, It's yeah. honestly cringeworthy. but like I said, i kind of I've kind of beaten that horse a few times, and um, you know, to the same result, Justin Hall still seems to be in the lineup. so. I, uh, I won't get too, too <laughs> deep into that. Um, instead, I'm going to throw it over to our interview. Obviously, as I mentioned, Alex was there for the interview uh, with third intermission podcast, Avery Lewis McDougall and Sebastian Jackson. <laughs>
3: Well, ladies and gentlemen, we could not be more excited to introduce our guests for this episode to the show, representing the third intermission podcast as seen on Twitter as the black hockey podcast dedicated to hockey and blackness. We've got OHL scout with smart scouting, Sebastian Jackson and host of Avery sports show, Avery Lewis McDougall. Welcome to the show guys. And thank you so much for joining six and the six. Yeah. Thank you very much for having us.
4: Pleasure to be on guys. Pleasure to be here.
3: Right on. So uh, first and foremost, I'm just going to let you guys take the floor. I know you guys celebrated your first anniversary of uh, uh, since the birth of the Third Intermission podcast. A little round of applause from us here. Um, I just want to give you guys the floor to talk about uh, what the podcast means to you guys and what um, I guess what what spawned the whole idea of getting it started.
4: All right. Well, actually, I'll I'll, I'll jump in this one. Our founder Dave Barnett. It was his idea, and Dave's whole thing was. He wanted to get more people involved who are black talking mainly about the police. So he started doing his podcast with his friends uh, Jordan, Reese, and, and and Darren. And then I jumped on eventually as a guest, and I became a I became a co-host for the show. And it was really about promoting the fact that in Toronto and in Canada there are black people who love hockey, but they're going to be comfortable talking about the fact that they do like to uh, watch hockey because of the stigma in the hockey world in the sports world. You know, oh, you're black, you like hockey. You must, you must be a white guy, you must be a real black guy. So that unity Dave brought was a way of saying, you know what, we all love hockey. We don't care We don't care who thinks about our show. We will talk about hockey and we'll be, we'll talk about stats, we we'll talk about humor, we we'll talk about game breakdowns. We're out of pocket sometimes. Well, more than sometimes, we're out of pocket quite a bit. But yeah, Dave's idea was to, you know, bring out a community of black content creators who love hockey and want to talk about it on a weekly basis.
5: You know, I'm fairly new to the show. Um... Uh, you know i've been with the group for a few months now and it's just nice being in an environment where uh there's other people who look like you who share the same experience mm-hmm. um, uh you know it's the same thing with my involvement with with black Row hockey club it's like it's nice being around a, a group of people who who understand and they're able to to support you and uplift you on your worst days when you're trying to fit in um yeah, uh, you know, we're we're having a lot of fun so far. It's it's been awesome, and we're going to continue to grow. And yeah, it's it's going to be awesome. Everybody should everybody should tune in.
3: So you guys kind of teed up my first question here. Um, I was just wondering what it means to you guys to, uh, I, I guess, just provide a unique. Uh, a, Different perspective on the game of hockey and just changes that need to be made within the game, I know uh, your outlook on the game must be a lot different from what a lot of people grew up with, and I just want to know what it means to you guys to be able to provide your perspective and use your platform for the better.
4: I would say dude, this platform is going to show people that once again you know there are people who are black who do like hockey, but I was, I was also going to show the fact that if you look in the hockey world, there are so few people who look like Sebastian and myself who are in roles of scouting coaching, media, the front office. One thing we always mention is that if you look in the hockey in the sports world, the NHL has been around for, what, 104 years now? And there's been only one Black head coach, Dirk Graham. One head coach in the NHL who's Black. There are no Black presidents, no Black GMs. One Black AGM, Brett Pearson in Florida. So we like to bring these issues to the forefront. And we, we never shy away from hard issues to talk about. And we had an episode a while ago where we got into the Black Hawk situation on Wakala Beach. And we are raw. We are brutal. And we've talked about issues that a lot of platforms and sports media will not get into. They don't have touch with a 10-foot pole because we feel we want to be that kind of per- that kind of podcast that can you know express issues that other people won't want to get into, be it race, uh, homophobia, sexual assault, like all kinds of things that the hockey culture. It doesn't want to change, but has to change some way, somehow.
5: Yeah, we're not just as much as it is just, it is a black hockey podcast and and we're all trying to fit in, you know, we're also part of a group that understands what it's like to not be accepted. So we're not just speaking on behalf of, of our terms or what we've gone through, you know, even though it's very color specific, um, you know, we speak on behalf of, of women who have had to fight hard in this game and the LGBTQ plus plus community who, you know, they still have a, a uphill uphill battle to climb. Um, it's um, it's something different, and like I said, you know, we're always going to have that raw emotion. Um, I think with uh, you know, just touching on a few things that Avery said, like we're it's very. I have a hard time saying it because you know, lately, it's, it hasn't been very fun to be colored in this game. You know, me and him have have gone through some things, but we're not. It's not just a general hockey banter. You're not just going to get general hockey banter. You're going to get what we live through every day and you're going to get different experiences and not everybody's going to understand. And it's going to be very uncomfortable for them.
2: I think that's really important, too. And you to bring those issues to the forefront is is is, is great. And you both mentioned the representation of and how many uh, people of color are not in major prominent roles? Um, it seems as the NHL is just doing the bare minimum in making those inclusive environments for Black Indigenous people of color, um, and even like those in the LGBTQ community. How long do you guys think that like something needs to change? That it will take for them to clue in that that that, that more needs to be done to just saying the bare minimum
5: long ago like it's it's long overdue um and people always ask me you know and i don't have the answer to this question you know hey what can you do well, of course i'd like to see more mm-hmm. black and indigenous people in in roles of power and i'd like to see them um advertised and showcase more than they are but um what more can the nhl do i like they're it's just the it's the absolute bare minimum they'll put out their little banner and when the world's on fire they're there saying the right things but then we go months and months and months and we don't hear anything and then black history month comes up and you got some teams who will you know raise a black fist on twitter and call it a day and They'll have a hashtag and call it a day, and then it's tucked away for a year. So I think I think that at the end of the day, we, it's just about putting more pressure on the teams to do more. Um, I know that that's part of what we're doing with Black Girl Hockey Club is we, we're we pretty aggressive with it. We're always tagging. We're always holding people accountable, and we're making sure that everybody knows, like, hey, you can't say stuff like this on your Twitter, or if you're going to do this, you got to do more. Um, I don't know, maybe Avery has something to touch on it, but there, it's certainly not enough. And I'm not the person with the answer to,
4: to that question, unfortunately. You know, it is, it's a hard thing to answer and really is a hard thing to answer. But as Fashion mentioned how teams will go on, you know, they'll put a black fist on Twitter. And one thing, it will not even be all teams. It'll be like, you know, maybe like nine or 10 or eight or seven. If you want a real change, it has to be all 32 teams taking part. Every team should have a Black History Month. Every team in the NHL has had Black alumni, or they've had alumni of color. Every single team has had it in league history. So for a quarter to take part, or three fourths to take part, it's not enough. It's gotta be buy-in from every single team, honoring your alumni, honoring those of color, people of color who've impacted the game. We, you can't have heart this. You want real change to take place. And we talked about diversity. Like there are teams who, you know, say, oh, we stand by our marginalized communities but then in the same breath, they're doing stuff with Barstool or Chick-fil-A. Like that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. I'm going to kind of, yeah. br-
3: sorry, go ahead. So, no, go no, ahead, go ahead Forbes. I, I've already had the stage.
4: That's all right. I, I
1: was just going to broaden it a little bit because uh, you know, if, if you've listened to our podcast or these guys will tell you, I, I there's one thing that uh, I, I do as to mention, ma- mentioned, I, I'm not afraid of tagging people on Twitter. Uh, I am not afraid of touching on some, some really questionable subjects sometimes um, and, and I kind of want to throw it over to, I'll, I'll throw to Avery first because I think at a certain point the change needs to happen from the, from the top down um, and, and we talked about it with the Kyle beach situation um, and we've talked about it with a number of situations with the NHL over the last few years, but is, is this, is this a time where maybe the culture change has to, has to shift from, Gary Bettman and have a kind of a trickle down effect throughout the league?
4: I think it really does. I think the one problem with that is that I think the owners don't really see a major issue because remember, the owners appoint Bettman. The owners have a lot of power in terms of how this game looks and how this game acts. And unless the owners feel the same way as you do, like we're not going to see much change. What's mm-hmm. so going to take, so I think it'll take, I mean, we, we heard, we already heard that before that sponsors are mad at the league. I think it's going to take sponsors saying, you know what? we don't want to associate with you anymore for real change to happen because the dollar controls this leak. Like every major sports league North America does. So I think if we start seeing some sponsors, you know, be about it and back away, then we'll see some change. Until then, I don't see much changing until it really happens, unfortunately.
1: Sebastian, the podcast you guys run, I mean, like, as you mentioned, you guys, you're not afraid to touch on kind of the – you know the uncomfortable situations or the uncomfortable topics is it is it a matter of just more more people in general just kind of touching on those t- topics and and creating more of a conversation and not just focusing on you guys mentioned black history month but maybe Hey, you know, this is something we need to, we need to recognize and, and represent throughout, you know, year round, 365, 366 on, on leap years and, and not just focus on, you know, Hey, one month a year, we're going to, we're going to, as you said, put a black fist on Twitter and call it a day.
5: Yeah. It's uh, it's gotta be more than, more than one month for sure. Um, and I think that there's gotta be some sort, and I don't want, I don't want, it to ever come to where something needs to be forced but it would be nice if there was a league mandate because then it shows that the league from top to bottom cares like hey we need to celebrate this month or we need to celebrate uh you know juneteenth or we need to celebrate this day we need to celebrate this day we need to celebrate this day like there's a lot that that i think can happen um and when it comes to you know what what other people can do too part of my problem especially around this black history month was there were radio stations in my area who'd have white guys come on and talk about black history month and look at the end of the day we kind of as black people and i I don't know about avery i always want to do what i can to bridge gaps in my own community i don't want to have to be the one to educate somebody but i think it's a slap in the face to people who come from you know families that, that were slaves and you know have a rich history in the black community like mine do. To have some guy named named Mark and will jump on jump on a radio station when you know, this should be a conversation that I'm having with people. Mm-hmm. Um I think I think at the end of the day that there's gotta be, you know, more people do have to speak up, not just when the world's on fire. Um, we got to keep this momentum going as, as, you know, people on Twitter, people on social media, people that have any type of influence. Um, and,
1: and again, it's just holding, holding teams and leagues accountable. I'm going to add one more thought here before you go, Alex, the league sent out a mandate or not necessarily a mandate, but a, a memo basically explaining that it's wrong to sexually abuse your players. I, w- I would agree with you in saying that at some point, the league needs to become responsible and saying, guys, we need to figure out a way to change the culture within the game. And it starts with us because we are the ones that are on TV. We are the ones that are the voices of this, of this game. And we need to change it from the top down. And I'm just going to leave it there.
5: Yeah. Um, I, I'll add one thing, one thing to that because I don't want to bring it back later in the show, but, the problem with with things at the top of the NHL right now is that even with the Kyle Beach situation, there still was no accountability because everyone involved got a path back absolutely um, yeah. nobody was fired, you know nobody was aside from you know them being slandered on Twitter, which rightfully so yeah. <laughs> um, no uh, there was no there was no real accountability, so all these people that were involved they have a path back Gwenville has a path back, Stan Bowman has a path back. Uh, I don't know what, you know, redacted or whatever his name is. Cause I don't want to say it. I don't know if he's still in jail or not, but he's the only one without a path back. And that's the way it should be. But there was a chain of command there and they all failed. Like the, we want to see change. All those guys should have just been tossed aside and we should never hear from them again, but we're going to hear from them again. Um, you know, Akeem got blacklisted in this game.
1: Hell of a um, player. I watched him in London here. Hell of a player. I, mm-hmm.
5: I, I loved him. I, uh, yes. I remember watching him yeah. in, in Windsor before he got traded. I, I was a big fan of his when he was with Sudbury. And when he was with London, he was massive. And we all knew he – like, it was a game changer. We mm-hmm. all knew yeah. that this guy was destined for great things. Unfortunately, that same season that the Kyle Beach stuff went down, he got racially abused by a coach. And even that coach was still given a path back.
0: Mm -hmm.
5: This guy's blacklisted from the game. Can't get a job anywhere in North America, but we're going to let these old hockey men. We're going to give them 500 chances. It's there's only one way to change this. And if you ask me, the commissioner's got to go. It's long overdue. I'm sick of him.
2: Yeah. I think think another Taylor Hall said it best too, that the old boys club. Mm -hmm. needs to change and and that really stuck with me and to this day it still does because again meaningful change does need to happen
3: yeah i think um i think the big thing that you know we all know about this but what needs to happen more than anything else is somebody we need to make an example out of somebody, like you said, Sebastian. Like these guys are getting the opportunity to step down from their jobs. That's what happened to Joel Quenville. How Kevin Shevale dayoff didn't even lose his job, and he was just as involved as the next guy in that situation. And I keep thinking of say, for example, the Logan Mayu situation with Montreal, and how Mark Bergevin came out and he gave he gave this stupid padded press conference saying, Oh, we, we, we recognize what we're going to do. And first of all, if you're going to, if you have to prepare a statement to justify a draft pick, you probably shouldn't have drafted the guy in the first place. But beyond that, I, I, I think it's the fact that the, he came out, Bergevin came out and he said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to make sure that, you know, Logan Mayu goes through this sensitivity training and we're going to make sure that the victim has all the support that she needs. And it's like, great, but Logan Mayu is still going to be playing in the NHL in a couple of years. And that's the sad reality. It's like, I feel like all it's going to take, maybe not all it takes, but I think a great first step would be if one of these guys lost their job and there was no buts. No, oh, you can you can make your way back if you do this. And like you said, Sebastian, getting a path back to the game. I think if we take one of these guys and they don't get a path back to the game and the rest see, it's a shitty reality because, you know, people shouldn't need to see somebody get made an example like that for them to change their heart. But at the same time, I think that's the best way that we can go about stopping this kind of behavior and really making hockey in the community an inclusive place for everybody. Because as long as, you know, these racists and these sexists keep, keep getting jobs and without, without any sort of repercussions, I mean, that all that's going to do is show other people that you can pull that kind of shit and get away with it. So I, I think it all comes back down to that. I mentioning- thing with
2: the Mitchell Miller too. I mean, he yep. comes all the way back and he's back in the USHL. So it's like, Where's the line line drawn? Mm -hmm. I mentioned um,
5: about three weeks ago, shortly, because I've been holding, I hold everybody accountable in that situation. And people are a little hard on me, like, hey, do you think it's really fair to talk about Taves like this or Kane like this or Duncan Keith like this? And it's like, look, there's a chain of accountability. There's a chain here. There's the management the front office and everything, there's the coaches, and then there's the players. Everything falls under one chain. And at the top of those players is the leaders. And it's about making somebody accountable, making somebody accountable. So I hold every player who knew on that roster accountable, and that includes Dave's Kane, and all of them. And I've been extremely hard on them because they deserve it. Yeah. And people are like, well, they were 22. And it's like, at this point of the stage, it doesn't matter. We can't yeah. keep excusing this type of behavior.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
5: like, I don't care how people look at it. Okay, they were 5% accountable or 10% accountable. Anybody who was accountable should be held accountable. And they were They were there. So people always ask, they're like, well, what do you see happening with Chicago? And I said, you know what? I remove their whole stamp and I would just put Chicago hockey team. Mm-hmm. I would take everybody's name off because the thing is, is there were certainly players on that. I'm, I, I don't think it's out of the wrong possibility that there were players on that team who didn't know. And I do want to believe Taves in the fact that he said he didn't know until training camp the next year. It's like, okay, like we're talking Bare two, three months, two, three months. I'm hmm. not, def- I'm not, I'm, it's a very uncomfortable because it sounds like I'm justifying it, but I'm not. It's like, we're talking a matter of 12 weeks. Fine. He still benefited and made all those millions of dollars and won extra cups and won extra awards and has put his name on, you know, the hall of fame ballot. Cause it'll be there when his career's over. He still benefited from a system that protects those old white hockey men. Um, that's what I would do. And people, people say, Hey, you can't just take wins away. It's like, nobody's taking wins away. It's just, for forever in the history there's going to be a black cloud that hangs above that team Uh, and that's just the way it is it's it's tainted at this point
3: it reminds me a lot of when 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 there's this public outrage over a a statue of somebody with racist ties gets taken down and it's like you know i I think there's a big difference between yes you you're right you can't erase history but at the same time you can teach people to stop celebrating it and i think the more people that we can get to stop celebrating the 2010 chicago blackhawks i mean we talked about this a couple weeks ago and brought up how brad aldrich's name was replaced with a bunch of x's and it's like that's great as it should be i mean he he sexually abused Kyle Beach. He sexually abused John Doe, too. I mean, I'm, I don't think anyone's going to justify anything there. But at the same time, I think just about every name on that cup from 2010 should be X'd out. Yeah.
4: yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Because, you know, you mentioned, you know, okay, there might be a chance, you know, again, like the last point. There might be a chance some, le- some of the leaders legitimately didn't know. But how do the leaders don't, how do they not know? But how does Brent Sopel know? How did these guys know? Yeah. How, do, how do eight of the players know what the leadership core only heard about it until the next training camp? That's where, to me, there's a question mark because if role guys or guys who are trying to get up on the roster knew about this, how did it somehow escape Keith and Taze and Kane? Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. you got to wonder how much management and the coaching staff kind of played a part in that as well because i remember Joel Quenville hearing a quote of him saying that he didn't he didn't want to be talking about the situation because he was worried that firing Brad Aldrich would be a distraction for the team in the middle of their yeah. cup run it's like first of all how is firing a video coach going to be a, that much of a distraction sec- especially you know when it's involving a sec- when a sexual assault case that's the part that confuses me but i wonder how much how much of a role the coaches and the management played at the time and kind of sort of brushing it under the rug and telling the players, listen, don't worry about it. I'll save
5: this. Um, with that season, there wouldn't have been like any type of Twitter press release. Yeah. Cause social media wasn't, you know, that was kind of the, evo- that's when it started to evolutionize
2: The early like, stages of it. Yeah. Very yeah. Early.
5: So nobody would, I don't think nobody would have batted an eye had a hockey team in May or June fired a video coach. Nobody would have asked questions. That's not the type of thing that you know reporters are lining up at the door to say, "Hey, yeah. what happened here? We didn't even know this guy's name until now."
3: Yeah.
5: Mm-hmm. And in in regards to the video coach, but
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah,
5: this is this is again this is what it all comes down to because it's it's more than just just this case. It's more than just what happened to Kyle beach. It's, it goes beyond that. It's again, hockey proved in this moment that it will protect those who've dedicated their life to it, who aren't necessarily good at anything aside from, aside from Quenville, I'm not even complimenting him, but he's the only person in this who, you know, his hockey accolades speak for themselves. Bowman is, you know, his dad's kid. Um, I, I don't know. They just—they all have a path back, and I'm just tired of watching that happen because it, just, it hasn't just happened here. It's happened with players. It's happened with Tony D'Angelo. It's happened mm-hmm. many times. And and again, to touch on on Avery's thing too, I think the one—I'm th- not picking on you because you're an Oilers fan. I think the one thing that bothered <laughs> me about the whole <laughs> King thing was he—he he kind of worked in circles that whole week. Mm-hmm. said he didn't know and then he said he didn't participate and i'm paraphrasing but he didn't know he didn't participate and then he wished he would have participated which i mean feels like he was kind of admitting he might have known something if you don't know anything you don't participate then nobody
1: yeah you, have you no, don't you know have anything no guilt. like you have no guilt afterwards
5: yeah. right yeah but he, he went in he went in circles for a week and Again, it's a lot of this too, and I'm not trying to blame fa- anything on fans. I'm not trying to blame anything on fans.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
5: the one thing that I don't like is is fans kind of operate like the NHL. Is yeah, two days everything's on fire and then they forget. It's true. You know, we saw we saw it with 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 Logan May. It's we've seen it with you know countless other people. Um, they're just willing to let people off the hook and people let Duncan Keith off the hook way too quick. And there's going to be, you know, some sort of apology piece or, or a puff piece coming for, for half these guys in about four to six weeks. And, you know, they'll all be, be welcomed back. And there'll be the day that they sign and the world will be on fire that day. And then the next day, nobody will just, nobody, nobody, nobody will give a shit.
4: No, it's, it's very true. Because, you know, the one coach in hockey who has called this stuff out, who's called it out, who was on TSN last year, Rick Westhead, was Ted Nolan. Ted Nolan has been blackballed simply for calling this stuff out and being an Aboriginal man, which is ridiculous. Ted Nolan should have been coaching this league for this entire time, but because he is a person of color and he had the gall to call the system, he's blackballed, which to me is ridiculous.
1: One of, one of the best coaches out there. Honestly, mm-hmm. yeah. I, what what he did, uh, I think speaks for itself. And, and the fact that he's, he's not in the league anymore is an absolute joke. Uh, I've said it since he got fired again that second time around. It just, it it makes no sense to me. It never has. Uh, even, even his son, Jordan Nolan, like, you know, easily better fourth liner than half the guys in the league right now. And, you know, here he is being a, uh, community advisor for, I believe it's, was it the Kings that he's, he's with right now? Um, so just, I mean, perfect example, as you guys said, like this is, it's not something that's not even close to going away. And and you see the league throw out these puff pieces, as you said, Sebastian, and all of a sudden, like people forget within two days, it's just, it, it it's stupid.
5: Well, it doesn't, it doesn't have any effect on them. Like it doesn't yeah. mm-hmm. people, I get a kick out of the people who, Will have you know BLM or whatever in their hashtags on on bios, but they're nowhere to be found except for if an unarmed black man is shot, or you know if in this case of this week when the Minnesota shooter got or Wisconsin shooter wherever he was from when he got you know acquitted on all charges. They're they're found that day, but you know that's that's just. That's the world we live in. Uh, you know, people want to. I don't know. I don't even know what that's called. Uh, fake activism, I guess. You know, you're the, again. You're there when the world's on fire, but
3: performative I mean,
5: bullshit. You could you performative. Could kind of that in yeah, into, yeah. Performative <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's. I don't know, and I'm not saying we should hold fans to a higher standard than than we should. You know, the Chicago Blackhawks front office or the NHL, but you know, again,
1: there's a, there's a chain here. Yeah. Everybody let's, is
5: somewhere in that chain.
1: Let's put let's put the,
5: it. Fan, they, Fans are at the very bottom, but.
1: But is it safe to say though, if you have an 11th overall pick and all of a sudden he just disappears just like that, he's gone. They, you, you have to ask questions. We're, the, the problem is, is that fandom is so used to being, you know, 11th overall pick disappears. He was a bust. Nobody asked questions
5: yeah here's the thing if if that 11th overall pick that disappeared was a black guy there'd be a million hit pieces out about how he was a cancer in a locker room or he didn't work hard enough and you know I know that there was some people that did put out those pieces about Kyle Beach like hey you know he was kind of a buzz. but they it was back again that was back before and I'm not saying it was right then you know we st- starting to learn and not put out those types of pieces but it's, it's different because people will still view prospects differently according to color. Um, we saw that with Josh Jose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, people in the summer, somebody had said something on Twitter that uh, there was a, lot, a little bit of racist undertone in it, and I called it out. And it led to somebody finding my address and sending me some threatening messages. um, People don't understand that these players, if you listen to their stories, they tell you like, Hey, when I was at a Quebec hockey tournament, when I was 11, I was called the N word and had stuff thrown at me and I got booed and parents were swearing at me. It's like an 11 year old. They, they take out everything that they went through in the past and they ignore that, and then they're like, oh, well, you must just have questionable, you know, off-ice tendencies. Um, I think in Kyle Beach's case, it it was weird because Chicago thought highly enough of him that I'm pretty sure that the year that he was the black ace, I think he was playing in junior that year. Like, I think right. he went straight from yeah. junior to yeah. the playoff roster. So this wasn't, this wasn't somebody that they thought of that was like, no, we're just going to send him to Rockford or wherever their AHL team was. You know, he'll get in some reps down there, which most teams do with their prospects. They thought highly enough of him that they're like, hey, we're bringing this guy up because we're a legit team. And we actually think that, hey, if one or two people get hurt, you'll be able to slide in just fine um so for him to just disappear for a decade a little under it was very very questionable and you know i'm just i'm hoping that we don't get a chain of stories like his because i don't know how much more anybody can take just with this side of the game
4: Mm -hmm. yeah could not agree (laughs) absolutely
3: All right. Um, so, Sebastian, I wanted to get to a little bit of prospect talk with you because I know that you work with Smart Scouting. You're you uh, you know Josh Tesla pretty well. I'm assuming then, right? Yeah, yeah. Josh, Josh is a good all, all them, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. I used to write for his website back in 2018. It was called Puck 77. Oh, yeah. um, so I'd like to know uh, if there's any big prospects in the 2022 draft that you've got your eye on that others might not know about. I know I saw you tweeting about uh, Luca Del Belbeluz. Did I say that right or did I get it backwards? Yeah. Yeah. Luca I Del Yeah, he's yeah. one of my favorite names in the draft. I just want to know, <laughs> maybe speak a little bit about him or some other guys that might have been catching your eye heading into this draft.
5: Well, in terms of names, he's a first overall pick. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I uh, there, So what I did, this is how I built my – I'm only able to watch a select few teams. I got, you know, my work. Um I'm still recovering from, you know, nearly dying in the summer. I got kids. I got a I got I you know, I got a life, so I can only watch the teams that are around me. So I've watched a lot of golf, I've watched a lot of Mississauga, uh, London Kitchener, Sarga, Windsor. Um what I did was I looked at a lot of the higher up scouts that you see on TV. I looked at a lot of their preseason. Um, names to watch and I was like okay I don't want to watch any of those because we all know what Shane Wright is going to do we all know Ty Nelson there's a lot of there's a lot of guys that are just sliding under the radar because there wasn't a season last year and if there was a season especially for uh, late 2003s um, there's there's a lot of potential in this group so I didn't see Luca's name very highly on a lot of lists, but I actually have him inside my top, my top 30, because he, uh, you know, he skates really well. He plays well in all three zones. Um, and he's playing on a team. We don't really know what the Mississauga Steelheads are yet. Um, they're kind of, they're kind of an enigma. You don't really know what you're going to get every day, but they're, they're, they're giving you results. Um He's producing for them, and he's been massive. Uh, Matt Patra in, uh, in Guelph, he's another one that, you know, that's a, he's going to be a quick riser. Um, he's probably been their second-best player all season, and this is his first full season. Um, and he started the season on the third line. Uh, he was driving that line, so they moved him up, and he drove that line, and now he's getting top-line minutes. and. He kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, a poor man's Bo Horvat. Um, I don't think that his production is going to be similar to Bo's, but we're going to, you know, he's somebody that I kind of want the Leafs to go after late first or early second. And then there's just a couple of names, uh, like Braden Bowman on Guelph right now. Um, he was skating with Victus Academy in Kitchener. He had a wrist thing as in his 16-year-old seasons. He ended up playing junior B. Um He's played on a really good Kitchener-Dutchman team. He uh, was kind of buried in their lineup and still put up just under 50 points, which is around a point per game. Um, I remember watching him skate. He plays well in, in, in the all zone, and the D zone, my, my concern with him is strictly in the neutral zone because instead of trying to play a one-on-one battle, he kind of just gets lackadaisical with his stick, and then he catches himself, and, you know, odd man rush the other way. But, uh... He's somebody that's not on a lot of players' list, and I feel like he's going to fall into the early second round. And uh, another name that's going to watch as well. Uh, he's been out for about three and a half weeks right now. Um, so I don't know what that's going to do, but his production this season was was about a uh, almost a goal per game. Almost a goal per game up until his injury. Um, and again, this is his first full season. Uh, it's, it's a lot of players' first full seasons. It's it's going to be like last year's draft. Uh, I felt that there was a lot of O 3s that were left off the, uh, the draft board last year because a lot of teams were kind of just drawing names out of a hat, essentially. Everybody had missed seasons. You don't know how some players are going to develop. But, yeah, uh, Braden Bowman is another one that I'll watch. Um, it's a really weird year for goalies, I'll say that they're it's not as cut and dry as, as previous seasons. We don't, we don't know, (laughs) we don't know where to look. Everybody keeps telling us to watch Brett Brochu, but we, we don't see, we can't evaluate it.
3: You actually, you mentioned the Mississauga Steelheads earlier, and I don't know if you'll know the answer to this question, but I saw, somebody post a video of the steelheads warming up before a game. And they did like a big pan of the, um, of the arena and there were no fans in the stance. Do you, do you know anything about that? Cause I that was really weird to me. So when I attended Centennial college up in Scarborough,
5: I was actually a steelhead season ticket holder for, for mm-hmm. a season. And I'm going to start by saying that everybody behind the scenes were some of the most nice, genuine caring people you'll ever meet in this game right uh i don't know how many of them are still there but you know paul Yeager, Stephen t hall um just the greatest people and i have nothing but good things to say about any of them that being said i couldn't give my tickets away i had seats seven rows up and i would go to the the mall and be like hey i can't make this game why don't you take your kid they didn't even know who they were. There's oh, people oh. in Mississauga that don't even know who the Mississauga Steelheads are. And it's a shame because their facility that they play out of is probably one of the top three nicest it arenas is. in the whole CHL. Yeah. It's a mm-hmm. beautiful facility. Now, it was better before – uh what was the guy that owns the Sens? Melnick? It was better Melnick. before Jesus. Melnick sold everything because he literally took like cup holders and call off the wall and deep fry. Like he picked that arena dry. It had a little more class before then. Now it's just, you know, it's a really nice arena not much to it, but yeah, they're, they've been struggling for years. Um, I know that, that I think most of the people that I knew when they were working with the team are no longer there. They were trying to do it properly by creating relationships in the communities with business and and sponsors but it just it never worked um i think that their biggest mistake too was they tried to to model too much of what they were doing when they became the steelheads after the toronto maple leafs i think that if they would have created their own identity mississauga geared that might have been better off for them because you know, when you're a kid in Mississauga, you're growing up thinking you want to play for the Maple. Leafs, so I can I can understand it at that point. But like if you whatever their hockey team, minor hockey team is, and it's slipping me right now. But if they would have built some sort of identity around that, and had those minor hockey partnerships or stronger ones, they might might get more fans. But th- that's it's a hard sell.
0: Yeah. You know,
5: it was it was. Same thing with the Brampton Battalion. Powerade Center was beautiful. Yeah. But, you know, it was 2100 a night there. And unfortunately, the Steelheads, when the, the battalion left, they thought that they were going to get an overflow. And I think they only got about 14, 14 new fans out of that. So I don't know what the solution is. I, I can tell you it's not going to work. But the the reality is... A lot of these scouts that are flying in, they don't want to be driving to Owen Sound or Barrie or Sudbury. They want to be able to fly in and fly out. So when they fly in, airport's only seven minutes away. Right. Or you have Oshawa, 35 minutes the other direction. They don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be going to any other place. They like the fact that Mississauga's in the biggest market. So it's easier for the scouts.
3: Yes, that's it. Wow. So it is just fan support. I wasn't sure if maybe Mississauga had some crazy COVID restrictions that no other city had or something like that. Because I remember just seeing how wide open the stands were and I was just like, that doesn't seem right, especially in a city like Mississauga. But I'm I'm glad you could shed some light on that. So because I, I wasn't hundred percent sure. I don't know where anybody else
5: on this podcast is from. I know Avery's not from from around here, but like I'm from Kitchener. Like, we, this, we kind of this, share that. Yeah. There's a there's a million people in there's like one point one million people in Mississauga or something like that. Yeah, and the distance between Mississauga, especially like uh, like the bedroom communities within Mississauga, and Toronto, you're not really making those drives. Those it takes you an hour to get from Square One to to the Scotiabank Arena. So it's just I don't. Know. It's weird, man. I, I thought I had answers when I was like 23 and I was like, well, you should do this. But they were like, no, that's stupid to do. <laughs>
2: Sebastian, is this the year where James Hardy gets drafted because he was passed over twice and he's still someone that I was really high on that would have been drafted in 2020. And I for sure would have thought that a team would have drafted him in 2021 is the third time the charm.
5: I'm gonna say no I I want to see it I there's just been so many players that have had similar production to him go undrafted and go undrafted and go undrafted Justin Brizzo off the top of my head um I've seen CHL player of the year get passed over I've it's weird. Whatever flaw scouts have found in this game, it's clearly done a, a number on him. Um, last year, I know, he, or the last full season we had, he got off to a really slow start, so he didn't really do himself any favors. Like, I think he was on some lists, and then he didn't He didn't have a very good start to that season. And I know it was like a very small amount of points in a, in a solid block of games, and then he just turned it on. Um I think he, he's going to sign somewhere and a part of me thinks it's going to be the Leafs because they've always had that interest. Yeah. Um, plus I think that's what he wants too. But if I'm him, like I wouldn't want to get drafted either at this point. I would rather just light it up this year and pick where I want to go. <laughs> um, I think, I think he'll be good enough. And I think that you can justify it. I just, I don't see. I don't see teams willing to to risk it all to pick him in the fifth round if they could have an eighteen year old with similar upside. And that's not that's not a knock on him. I think he's great, and I enjoy watching him. And you know, Lauren Kelly loves him. I love him. A lot of the scouts love him. Uh, and we're cheer. I think we're all actively cheering for the guy. Like we don't we don't want to speak on his flaws because we don't want we don't want that to have any type of influence, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't think teams are, I think, I don't think so.
1: Peter, do you want to ask uh, Avery your
2: question oh, here? Yes. Um, I blanked out there for a second. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, Avery, um, obviously you cover the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. Um, Given what's going on in the city right now, the production of McDavid, Dreisaitl, is this the year, I mean, the Maple Leafs have had similar production from their star players, but poor playoff performance. Is this the year that the Oilers can make a deep run based on the additions that they made for their supporting cast? Beneath those guys bringing in Zach Hyman, seeing an improved Yessi puyi is Is this a turnaround for them?
4: You know, after hitting the brick wall so many times year in, year out, it should be. You know, I was a big fan of the moves, to, you know, bring back Pauly R.V. I did like the move to bring Warren Fogel in, albeit it should not have been for Ethan there. But I do like what Warren Fogel has brought. Early in the season, Derek Bryant played really well. So yeah, no, the, the top nine has played way better than years past That's been a big thing. But again, the big thing for his team is now defense. Duncan Keith is hurt. Darnell is out for two or three weeks with a broken finger. And now you're looking at potentially D-man number one, Already, Philip Roberg. So that's the big thing right now for the world is that once again, the defense is already in trouble. The goaltending, I'll say as much as much as they probably will get a goaltender eventually, Stuart Skinner has kept his team in game with Mike Smith. He's a big six foot four goaltender, gets across the crease well, doesn't allow a lot of rebounds. If Skinner can be that guy who holds the fort down for the rest of the season or until they get another goaltender, I think this is a great, ch- I think they're in a, they'll be in a great spot because Skinner is a guy who I really feel. Will be the goalie of the future going forward after this year,
1: Avery? I'm going to throw another Edmonton Oilers question over at you because uh, being from well, being in London now, uh, Evan Bouchard's a guy that I got a chance to to watch here in London. He's uh, he was absolutely unreal for the for the Knights, and and he's lived up to par so far with the Oilers. I want to get your thoughts on him, and I also want to get your thoughts on Trot or uh, sorry, Torts. Uh, and his comments that McDavid needs to shut up and play.
4: <laughs> okay, well, I'll start with Bouchard first. Watching him Bouchard's play, like with the puck in an in 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 offensive zone, he is so confident. He looks like a guy who's been in league for 10 years already, even though he's only 22, 23. The fact that Tippett didn't play him much last year is, in, is insane. Tippett didn't play him all that much, which to me is baffling. You see him keep the puck in the zone. He moves his feet well. He gets shots on net. That shot is incredible already. And second year in the league. He is someone who I cannot wait to see be a Norris contending defenseman as his game continues to develop. I believe his upside is that well he can contend over the Norris eventually in his career. And as for Twitterell's comments, to me it's just it's ridiculous because the officiating is the bigger thing that hinders Connor McDavid against the Winnipeg Jets. Rachel Dory, who's a great follow on Twitter, I work with her at SI. She made a comment. She posted a video in which she showed that McDavid had 41, like there are 41 fractions that are not called a crime McDavid. That to me is a thing in which, like the idea of telling the best player in the league, shut up, is such old hockey man thinking. Imagine if in the NBA, LeBron James were on a fast break, you could punch him in the face without a foul. It'll be stupid, it'll be dumb. But in hockey, we're okay with letting, well, i see say the old boys club, is okay with letting the best player in the world get hacked, Tripped, pulled down with no call. Mary Lemieux said himself years ago, it's a garage league. Like, it's ridiculous. We need to let our stars do their thing if we want any to compete with the MLB, the NFL, and the NBA. You got broadcast deals now with ESPN and TNT. If I'm TNT and I'm ESPN, I am pissed off seeing our star players getting harassed. And the third and fourth line guys, no disrespect to those guys, but the people come pay the hard earned money. To watch the McDavid, the Matthews, the Lafrengays. like these are the kind of guys you pay your harder money to watch. Not the Neil Pionks.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's like no, a I great g- name to pull out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I don't, don't know. The Neil I don't Pionks. know why that made me laugh.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I like, I like, I like Neil Pionk but the average person isn't paying money to watch him haul, haul down Johnny Goodrell. They're not.
3: Mm-hmm. No, oh, okay. I, I know you made, you made a great point with that. I just <laughs> love how Pionk was the name to come to mind. Cause he's, <laughs> and he's a contender for one of the best names in the league too, at the same time. Coincidentally. <laughs> so,
2: and it's also shocking to see that Michael Bunting is one of the top leaders in drawn penalties where McDavid has the blinding speed and is way down that list. And that should not be a thing at all.
4: Not at all. In- like Bunting, he might, he might, he might win the Calder, you know. Good for him. He's played really well for Toronto. But yeah, no, like Bunting should not be drawing more penalties than Connor friggin' McDavid. That shouldn't be a thing.
3: But well, if it makes you feel any better, Connor McDavid, or I mean, uh, Michael Bunting's probably not going to be drawing too many calls before because Austin Matthews basically called him an actor to the media today. So I think <laughs> the league might, the league might pick up on that a little bit and say, I think this guy's embellishing. But anyways, I think the other thing with
5: McDavid too,
3: though. <laughs> Uh, as opposed to other players um
5: he moves faster than you can think so guys like bunting you give them a little tap on the shins and they can fall but Connor mcdavid moves so fast that he'd end up having like another seven strides before he hits the ground and then they're just gonna call him for embellishment um he yeah he you know he really i feel for him um I don't think that he should shut up. And I'm really glad that he said something because Mm -hmm. if I'm watching sports highlights, those are the guys that I want to hear from. I want to hear from the best players in the world. My favorite part
3: about that is how, is how all these, you know, sports tabloid outlets picked up Connor McDavid's little shot at torts there and they put in their captions. Oh, do you think this was a shot at John Tortorella? It's like, no, I think he was just saying that as a, as a joke, (laughs) as as a coincidence, probably had nothing to do with Tortorella calling him or telling him to shut up just a week ago. He just felt like it. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, Sebastian, in our in our uh, preseason episode, Alex uh, decided to bring up the multiple first round exits to Mark Masters, uh, and, and kind of basically say <laughs> where the Leafs going to be at if they if they're knocked out in the first round once again this year. Can you tell so, how broken I am. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of where the discussion went. Um, but, Sebastian, I want to get your your take on the Leafs real quick here, and are they making it past the first round this year? Yeah, um, right. And
5: for the same reason that I think, for the same now, listen, I'm not over over last year, but I have an easier time. <laughs> I don't time think doing any of us are. It. I have an easier time doing it because I slipped into a coma like a day later, so I was able to just put that right behind me. I didn't care. I didn't watch any more playoffs from that point. I was like, I'm just done with it. And then once the whole talks picked up, then I was like, okay, all right, we got something. And then I was just done with it again. And I think I think Toronto will get, get past. Um, I do think Edmonton's going to go farther. Um, but the one thing that I liked about Toronto is that they filled some of the issues that they had. Last year's third and fourth line didn't really have any identity. It was just guy... It's kind of like when Casper e. Kapanen and uh, Andreas Janssen were on the on the third line in Toronto. It's like, yeah, they scored, but there was it just something always felt off. They put up 40 points on the on the third line, but it just it never seemed right, you know. Mm-hmm. They got Michael Bunting, they got David Camp, um, and the thing about those guys, is those are guys that are those are third line guys. Those that your bona fide third line. They're not guys that you can just move up and down. So if something does happen to guys in the top six, you gotta find a way to get creative because you can't just keep pulling. You don't have that that ability to bring up a captain who can mask because he can produce. They got guys who are able to fill roles in their bottom six. I like. I'm not the biggest Pierre Engvall fan because so I think he makes too much. I feel bad for him because I do rag on him a lot. Um, I know Nathan Basham was on waivers today. I would rather ha- I'd rather have him. Yes. Over Engvall just for the cap savings. But the one thing I can say in every game this season, I've never looked at that bottom six and it's like there's holes there.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Now, you still need to find Matthews, an everyday winger. And I, I honestly, I kind of hope that what they're doing with Hosang, because he's been scoring out a goal a game, he's been on a tear down there. I hope that yeah. he's it. Most people. Sit there and say, "Oh well, you don't bring up an AHL guy to play." But it's like, you just need stuff. So, you just need somebody to keep up with Matthews and and mm-hmm. and Hosang. Thing is, is as long like Hosang's had his issues trying to stay in the league. Um, it's not on him, but the gift just doesn't go away. Like he's still very gifted. He's still the same player that was drafted.
3: Uh, what was it, 25th overall or 23rd overall? May 20, 20, 26 20,
2: or 28th. Yeah.
3: I, I was, I, yeah, I was gonna say 28th. I think we just threw out like four different positions
1: there. So, one <laughs> of us way, is probably in, right. Go that, 25, in,
3: yeah, in that in that gap,
5: like the gift is still there. Um, I have some questions about the defense, uh, questions I didn't have last year. But I think the thing that's saving me right now is Sandine is clearly taking a step forward, and Timothy Lilligren is a top six defenseman. Um, and I, I honestly, I think that that's where we'll see the team improve down the line. I think that they'll go get some depth for forwards, and then you know we'll see their big acquisition will probably be either a second goalie or or a defenseman. But yeah, I think I think what they did was they did a good job filling filling some of the holes that that they had last year. Um, I want to believe, especially after watching that documentary or that uh, docuseries, which was really weird. I thought it was really funny that, like, they hyped it all up and then they're like, yeah, but they didn't win <laughs> within, like, yeah. the first five minutes. Um, I know that there was that one scene of Matthews and, and Marner still in their, their gear well after midnight, sitting in their stalls after the loss. You know, both of them on the verge of tears and might have been crying. I want to say that that's the difference between this season and previous years. Because um, they knew they knew that they had a path last year.
0: Yeah,
5: Like, good on Montreal for making it as far as they did. They shouldn't have, but good on them, they did it. It's yeah. written in the history books. No one's going to take that away from them. They shouldn't have. That should have been Toronto or Edmonton. They had a clear opportunity to go three rounds deep and, and honestly would have shut everything up. They could have missed the playoffs this year, but mm-hmm. nobody would have batted an eye had they gone on to, to, to play Vegas last year and lose. Yeah, They well, had that's... an opportunity last year and they didn't. And and I'll say this about Edmonton. So I'm sorry. I know we were talking about them earlier, but the one thing about Edmonton, I think that defense might be a little bit of a tire fire. CC and Barry is a bit of a mess. But the one thing that they did was they went out and got Warren Fogle and they got Zach Hyman and Kyler Yamamoto is a year older and McDavid and Dreisaitl are still going to produce and Bouchard, they would, like, I can't remember the last time that the Oilers were this patient with a prospect, a top prospect. Usually they rush them along. Sam Gagne probably should have not played in the NHL as an 18-year-old. But he did, and he's pushing 900 games. But, you know, he had, like, there were questions a couple years after where it's like, oh, should he play that extra year? Did we rush him? But they constantly rush players. Mm.
3: They filled those needs. I, I, I think Edmonton's going to be the guys this year. Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> um, I think you made a great point with how they, that was their easiest uh, the Leafs. Anyways, it was their yeah. easiest path to the cup last year. I mean, that's, that, that's pretty much exactly why I led off with that question with Mark Masters asking like, man, what do we do if this happens again? Because I was dead convinced like, okay, you got Montreal in the first round Winnipeg or Edmonton in the second round. And the grant that is the Edmonton of last year. And then, you know, so at the very least, based on the way they played in the regular season last year, you would have thought they would have at least gotten out of the first round. But I have learned to never trust this team ever again after what we saw. I and think I think that another big thing too. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
4: No, 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 go for it.
3: I
5: think that another big thing too is there's a lot of uncomfortability here. Like, look, if they if they don't make it out of the first round, I don't think Dubis is fired. Like I don't I don't think he's fired. I think I don't think he should be sitting comfortable walking high and mighty because there is going to come a day where he's going to have to answer for all this if it all fails. Again yeah. and again. I don't think that he's going to get fired. I don't think Sheldon Keith is going to get fired either. I think I think the big difference this year too. We don't know what's going on with Jack Campbell. Um You know, there's been the rumors that he is going to resign. There's the rumors that he's going to take a discount, which I don't think he should. Like, nobody should have to do that. Nobody should have to do that. Go get your money, man. Um, We've never had a player um, perform well past expectation like this. Like, Matthews, we all know what Matthews is going to do. We all know what Marner is going to do. We all know what Morgan Riley's capable of. Like, I feel like those expectations are locked in. But we've never had a player that just took it to a whole nother level. Yep, for sure. And Jack Campbell's doing that. Like, they're they're talking about him being the third goalie for the Americans at the Olympics. Like, I think I think that's the difference. He played well for us last year. But I think that's the big difference this year, especially with a full season. And I don't know what's going to happen with Wool, but I know guys are pretty, pretty amped up to play in front of him because they want to see him do well. And then and in the back of my head, I don't trust this team because I'm like, are they playing Wool? Because they think that this guy's not going to get signed and somehow they think he's the future already because that's a bad idea. But yeah, I, I just. We've never had somebody play well, well, well beyond expectation. And he's been well, well beyond expectation.
0: Yeah. And
5: uh, I, I, again, those are just, those are just the small things I noticed. And, you know, I just, I see them approaching this differently, especially down the stretch. I see Sheldon Keith making simple adjustments. I see the power plays a lot better this year, although, you know, the games that they should be scoring in, it dries up. but. You know the team's still gonna frustrate us. I don't think that they're they're gonna you know hope be hoisting the cup at the end of the year, but I think that we're gonna have a better mindset going into next year about this team than we did coming into this season.
3: Yeah, it's crazy to think how far we've come with Jack Campbell. I mean, considering when they originally traded for him, it was so he would take some of the weight off of Freddie Anderson. And now we're talking about a guy who's potentially, like you said, going to be the third goalie for the Americans and could win the Vezina if he keeps playing like this. And also, just so we have it on the record, I have confirmed Joshua Hulsang was drafted twenty eighth overall. So, (laughs) all right, yeah. So, (laughs) there's my bragging rights right there. And the, the crazy thing is, the crazy thing is, is they said that he was. Like, he should have been in the top five. Yeah, I remember hearing that about him at the time, that he had the talent to be among the top five guys. So I watched um, him a couple times in junior, uh, and I was always a big fan.
5: I think the one thing that that, I, that did bother me a little about him was he – I would watch teams – like, I go early enough to watch teams of warm because I like to see how players engage with each other. Um, that way I can vouch for their character. Hey, no, their team loves this guy. He's very active. Players love him. They go up to him. The one thing about Josh is he would really separate himself from the rest. Uh, and I'm not saying that's on him, but he was on like a whole nother level mindset um, that he didn't talk to nobody. He didn't skate with nobody. He would puck handle by himself in the corner, uh, didn't interact with anybody. Um this had been like well after I think this was well after the whole sleeping in for training camp and then after that everybody gets on him because it's like nobody slept in before so we got to make him public enemy number one. Um, he was mu- he was supposed to go much higher and I can't confirm this but I had heard from somebody who has ties to somebody in the Edmonton locker room that even McDavid had kind of said like hey. I can work with this guy. We've had chemistry before. Because uh, they were line mates. Arboros. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they were magical. Yeah. They were magical. I, I watched the, I watched a couple of their games. I can't remember what tournament it was. I think it was in Coburg. And it was just insane. Those guys knew everything about each other. And they had so much fun playing together. Um, yeah. He, he should have been a probably top five, top ten pick that year. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of time for him to redeem himself and, uh, I'm here for the Hosang gang.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I, I I think that what they're doing with Hosang is kind of can be compared to what they did with Galchenyuk last year, but I think the rewards that they could reap with Hosang blow what they, whatever they would have been able to get out of Galchenyuk out of the water. I remember, uh, Hosang actually called into a, a radio show that I produce on the weekends and uh, the host asked him if he if he still feels like he's misunderstood and he says not by Toronto so I I think that the Leafs have a plan for this guy and I think seeing his energy in training camp and how well he gelled at the core I do I truly do think that there is a spot on this team for him for for the uh for the long haul
5: I don't think I don't think that he signs that AHL deal without some some sort of reassurance that he'll be here because no he could have went on a PTO with somebody else. Somebody would have offered him. Somebody yeah. would have offered it to him. There's plenty of teams in this league still think old school, and they're like, hey, former first-rounder. Get that guy on the uh, – Yeah, on the could have been road. playing
3: in the NHL. Could have been playing but in the
5: NHL this year. The one, thing, the one thing that I'll also say, and the reason why I'm kind of glad they're not rushing it, is if you call him up, then you, you create a problem because you can play him. But then you got to get rid of somebody, and it's like, okay, you can get rid of Angfo, or you can get rid of this guy, or you can get rid of that guy. But the problem is, is they're not going to do that because they need some assurances just in case he doesn't work out. And if he doesn't work out, and my fear is that they give him like two games, yeah, and then they're just like, well, it's not working. We've got to send him back. Then he's got to go down on waivers, and then he probably gets claimed. So that's the risk. I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that. They're just waiting to see, because here's the thing: McKeough's still coming back too. So somebody from this roster, which who do you like? Who do you take off when McKeough comes back? Who do you, Who's your guy that comes out of the lineup?
2: Engblom.
5: Yeah, that's that's the obvious one. But even he still earned a spot in the mm-hmm. top twelve. So the way Kyle Dubas has operated before was he like if he has an NHL-ready guy, he's not going to hold him hostage. So he's going to ship him somewhere. So I guess that opens up the 13th spot. Who comes out again? Because Engvall is the obvious choice to come out for Hosang. Yeah. When Mikheyev's back and he goes in for Engvall, then who do you pull out?
3: Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other question to be they're, asked.
5: I've they're, they're committed to it. They're committed to Richie. For better or worse, I don't understand. I understand taking the risk. You know, he had 15 goals last year. I think that there's something there. I think he'll turn it around. I don't understand why there needed to be a second year involved, but I mean, good on him for getting his money and, and his term, if that's what he wanted. Um, I don't think that they're just going to give up on Nick Ritchie. They've tried him up and down the line. But I don't think that they're just going to be like, this isn't working after 25 games and then ship him out because like you committed to the guy. You can't, you can't, build relationships like that. And you can players can't take things personal. It's a business. Yeah. But you know, it's again like who you who you who you taking out of the lineup and how do you replace that person? It's like, yeah, we can see where Hosang will slot in. But then there's a thousand questions that follow. Like it's I'm glad I don't have to make the choice because <laughs> if I had to make the choice, he would have been out there game one. But you know it is what it is. I, I hope he's coming soon. I hope that they figure something out because it, it obviously sounds like they're trying to move from one of their defensemen. They're going to have to move. I think I think is the obvious choice to go. But after that, you've got a second everyday player that has to come out of the lineup. And it's not going to be Spetta. It's not going to be Bunting. It's not going to be
3: Camp. It's not going to be Kerfoot. Who do you who do you take out right yeah like you said it's a it, it's a question that you don't want to have to be the one to answer and that's why we're all none of us are yep. in that position and I <laughs> want to I want Hosang there yeah I just I want him there so I's got to make it, sense I could, just, yeah. I could just snap my fingers
5: and be like guys make it happen but I don't want to create issues where you know Toronto try and waves Angval and he doesn't pass through or they try and wave like, who would be the other forward coming out?
3: You that's know honestly, mean? yeah. Yeah, that's not an easy question <laughs> to
5: answer. Like, nobody... nobody. outside Engvall might clear. Richie might clear because he makes 2.5 or something like that, or 1.5 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They might clear, but they're probably not going to. If Adam Brooks didn't clear, these guys aren't clear. Yeah. So then... And you call up... Joey Anderson to be your thirteenth forward. I don't hate it, but it's not. You start picking from the areas that you might need Come the first game of the playoffs. You need you need depth, and you don't want to have guys with very limited experience as your thirteenth forward. Plus, they've already got Kyle Clifford. Like, I don't know. Man. <laughs> yeah, A
4: lot of too many
5: line answered. combinations. Yeah. So little Honestly. time.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: They're
5: doing the right thing by leaving him mm-hmm. leaving him where he is right now. Yeah. Let him.
2: Let him he's re- happy there.
5: He's got to regain 5 years of being treated like dirt. Yeah. And you can call him up right now because he's hot. Or just he's home. Like he's from Toronto. Let him He's still playing in Toronto. Let him let him play there.
0: Mhm.
3: All right. Well, I don't want to take too much more of your guys' time, but this has been a great conversation, guys. And you know, I I don't want to speak for for Forbes and Peter here, but I think the three of us, being white and growing up in in the hockey community, I think we saw much more of a padded sunshine and rainbows version of what the game's all about. And so, uh, your voices are absolutely needed. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Keep fighting the good fight. And thank mm-hmm. you for doing everything that you do. Uh, congrats on or, c- congrats on your one year. And uh, thanks a lot for joining Six and the Six. Thank you very much, guys course
5: yeah, yeah, was. Shot, guys. it was a it was a blast I uh I hope we can we can come back when you know when the leafs are eliminated when the playoff round again <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely I did, more than happy I did, to bring you back <laughs> I did want to put put out just uh last minute here we hit seven thousand signs or seven thousand signed people for the get uncomfortable pledge through Black Girl Hockey Club today. Um if you're somebody wondering what you can do to help uh, you know, also bridge gaps in these communities and make hockey a more inclusive place. I encourage you to go sign and I encourage you to to make sure that over time you're, you're reaffirming your commitment, what you're doing in your everyday life and your practices, how you talk to, to women, people of color on social media. Um, go sign it. It's uh, with Black Girl Hockey Club. Like I said today, we hit 7,000. That was a big deal for us and we're excited. Uh, happy birthday, Chanel. And that's
1: it. Well done, Sebastian. And uh, again, guys, thank you very much for coming on. And, and we appreciate you guys and we'll, uh, we'll definitely have you back on hopefully soon. Absolutely.
4: Awesome. Appreciate it guys. Had a blast.
1: Well, as I mentioned in our opening, uh, Peter, what a, what a great interview to bring them both on, obviously, you know, part of a great podcast, um, the way that they were able to give us a different perspective. And I should say the third intermission podcast, it is the black hockey podcast dedicated to hockey and blackness. Some Mm -hmm. great members on that show. Um, As we mentioned, Avery and Sebastian came on. They, they gave us a little bit of a different perspective in terms of um, hockey from, from their side and in growing up the, you know, with the, the hurdles that they had, Versus, you know, I mean, we're sitting there kind of, you know, asking the questions as three white males and and there is that white male mentality uh, mm-hmm. in, in the hockey world. And that's what we're trying to get away from. That's what, yeah. we, you know, we want the conversation to continue. And I I mentioned it with Sebastian. I said, you know, forget the Black History Month. We need to have it all year round. This is something that we need to talk about all year round. Continue the conversation. We loved having Avery on. We loved having Sebastian on. I think it was incredible conversation what we got into. We talked about Akeem Alou, um and and the struggles that he had coming out of junior and going to a, a Chicago Blackhawks team that really was not welcoming. Um, we talked about Kyle Beach. We talked about Gary Bettman's place in the game and whether he should be there. And uh, you know, both of them, both of them, great gave incredible insight. Uh, and then obviously, you know, Sebastian with some great insight in terms of pers- uh, prospects and, and what it's like for the, uh, for the Mississauga uh, Steelheads of the OHL. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, no, no. Great to talk hockey with them. But, the, but you just mentioned it. The most important f- uh, factor was, you know, engaging in that conversation and what we can do to, you know, grow the game, be better um, allies going forward as well and that that's the main important thing and it really opened up our, our eyes because there, like you said they, they this is the side that they see and this is the side that we don't and that was very important and i'm very thankful that they were able to come on and shout out to everybody else over at the third intermission um just seeing their presence and their personality online, is just so infectious and you just want to be a part of that as well. So they're, they're doing great things. This podcast is up on the rise, give them a follow, give them all the support because they, they deserve it. And again, like like you said, we're not going to get into a better place unless we have conversations like this. And I'm glad we had that because I mean, we're aware of this now. Now it's time to expand this and make sure everyone is aware of it as well.
1: Yeah, and and something Sebastian mentioned, it's not all about just you know, getting a hashtag and and posting the hashtag and and being a part of uh, or an I ad in that,
2: the stadium.
1: Yeah, I forget what Alex said. Uh, it was it was uh, basically um acting activism or something. Whatever. Yeah. The the point is like it, it's time to get uncomfortable. It's time to have those conversations. And yeah. and as Sebastian said in the show, head over to Black Girl Hockey Club, sign the sign the sign the you know the petition. The petition to get uncomfortable and have have that, you know, in your life. Talk about it. Bring it up. Be inclusive. Um Find a way to make the game of hockey less about, you know, a manly man sport, and talk about in, in, involving everybody. Be inclusive. You know, women's hockey is taking off. Black players are are becoming such a, a, a cornerstone for, for you know, this league and in this game. And you know, indigenous uh, indigenous peoples. Um, Jordan Tutu is a great guy to, to to follow if if you're. You know, interested in that kind of stuff as well. I mean, there's so much going on in hockey that it's it's time to be to recognize the changes that are happening and and forget that this was once um, that that closed door kind of game. I guess I I I don't know. I listen to the interview; it's fantastic. Uh, Like I said, I we we appreciate Avery and Sebastian coming on. They yeah. did a great job, you know, opening the door to the conversation. We, we hope that th- any of our listeners continue to continue to, that conversation and, and continue to be inclusive when it comes to the game of hockey. Absolutely. With that, let's just jump over to our NHL news. I want to talk a little bit about jersey drops. Uh, <sighs> this week we had the U.S. Um, – Olympic jersey drop. We had the Canadian jersey drop, and we had the New Jersey jersey. The New Jersey jersey. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, where do you want to start? I mean, I, I personally didn't like any of them. Um, for me, New Jersey. I mean, they they really just spelt it out for you. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: jersey. Um, there's been a lot of people. I mean, great great meme. Um, I think it was Steve Dangle came out with the hat hat on his, on his well, shirt shirt. Yeah. The t-shirt shirt. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jersey just, if they weren't already the toilet bowl of the NHL, they've, they've really dropped to new levels.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the, the the Jersey, the New Jersey jersey. Um, I mean, I guess that's reference to, to just shorten New Jersey to just Jersey, right? But it, it's just very coincidental how the apparel that they wear. I mean, you could call it a uniform, but at the same time, it it, it it's a sports jersey. Um, to have that Jersey Jersey thing. I mean, I, I saw your comment. I I replied with, "Well, wow, thanks, Captain Obvious." Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, I mean, I get what they were trying to do. It just didn't quite work out. Um, that, I mean, that's a, at least they made the attempt. It's like Team USA really didn't. I mean, I, I one of our colleagues, Devin Little, who writes for the Detroit Red Wings, commented on the jerseys, and it's just like, great, we see the soccer ones, now where's the hockey jerseys? Because that's what it looked like. It looked like a legit soccer jersey. Um, and then the... I was yeah, just, I was, go, ahead, I was, go ahead. Go ahead. I was, about, I was just about to say the Canada ones. I mean, I liked the all black jersey. I liked the white jersey. I wasn't a fan of the red with the black maple leaf in the middle. I just thought that was that was just too off putting. The red one kind of looked like the classic look, and I'm a big uh, a big fan of the all black jerseys. Um, go ahead and hate me if you want. I I really do love it. Some people really can't stand it, but I love it. <laughs> And I think it's a different, like, you know, third alternate. But who, the the black maple leaf on the red, um, I, I just wasn't a fan of it. And then you have Sweden come out with their jerseys and you just have the, like, you know, the simple Trey Kroner on the front, yellow and blue. That's it. So it seemed like Sweden nailed it. Canada was kind of hit and miss. Jersey and U.S. were at the very bottom of everything.
1: So I'm going to say this about New Jersey. um. I think the marketability of that jersey is just awful. Um, but it's been skyrocketing with everything else, so. though. It, it, like people will buy it because it's just people are stupid. Like yes. I mean, realistically, people are gonna buy that jersey because they're gonna be like, "Oh, they wore it for three games. Let's let's go and get this limited edition jersey." Jersey um, jersey. Yeah, the jersey jersey. <laughs> Like, I feel like the, the, the cast of Jersey Shore were the ones that, that uh, kind of put that one together. But um, here. what's that?
2: cabs are here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the U.S. jersey, I mean, it is what it is. It's so plain. And, yeah. and I feel like after a while, you just you run out of ideas for these things. But mm-hmm. the Canadian one, the, the thing that drove me nuts was that the leaf didn't look like a, like a maple leaf. Like, <laughs> it looked more like a pot leaf than anything else. I, I, I maybe that was just me. Like I looked at it. I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, we legalized it, but shit, do you have to put it on a Jersey? <laughs> I mean,
2: that would be kind of be fun. though. Yeah. A little
1: I, bit? I, I, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just like, we're, we're advocating for it for the entire, the entire world when it comes to the Olympics. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't mind the colors that I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of the black leaf. Like you said, um, I just felt like it was it was too like I don't know it just didn't flow well, um, but who knows you're you're gonna see it in in games and you, you know like I said people are gonna buy it yeah it's just it's just our mentality we, we we see a jersey we like it we go out and buy it it's you know at the end of the day it is what it is but um, I yeah I don't understand why U.S.
2: didn't just go with you know the jerseys that they've worn in other international competitions because. Yeah. Yeah, it just looks the shield, so much The better.
1: shield on the front, I, lo- yeah. I love the U.S. shield.
2: Yeah, it's nice. Uh, yeah, it balances everything out. It does. It did kind of look like. Just, I, just, I just don't know why they just went straight across like that.
1: No, like, it, it it looked very much like a soccer jersey, like Devin said. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I don't know. I think it was just a bad week for jersey drops. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it, it could, started could off with been... the jersey, jersey, and and closed out with the marijuana Canadian jersey. So could have been a bit better. Yeah, absolutely. Um we want to talk a little bit about uh OV. very quick hit here. We continue to see what he's able to do. And again, scored scored this afternoon, Sunday afternoon. This guy is up to uh 748 goals. Uh 49 right now. Sorry, 749. 749. It did not include. I just said he scored this afternoon. Then I did not (laughs) include it. Man, can you tell it's Sunday? It's Um, Sunday Fun Day. It's Sunday Fun Day. That's right. But yeah, so what? 16 goals shy of. Sorry, 18 goals shy, 17 goals. Man, math is not my thing.
0: (laughs) I, I, I,
2: I'm helping you out because I did this exact same thing before, and I double-checked my math four times just to make sure I was not wrong.
1: Hold on. Let me count on my fingers. No, I'm just (laughs) joking. So Ovi is 17 goals shy of Yammer Yager for third all-time. There's absolutely zero question that he's going to hit it. Um, Is is it fair to say – I know Drysettle's at 20 goals already. Is it fair to argue that Alexander Ovechkin could potentially be the MVP – Already this early in the season, um,
2: yes, and and nothing against Drysaddle, um, but let's face it, this is Ovechkin chasing down history, and this is absolutely impressive. What what he's doing at thirty six, this guy, this guy's in peak physical condition. I mean, this guy still goes out there and he's still playing like he's in his prime, or when he was drafted, or not necessarily when he was drafted, but when he first entered the league at twenty, and then throughout his 20s on. I mean, he's on pace for 75 goals at 36. That's just absolutely ridiculous. And I know we we like this as our banter for obi but it's like, come on. Like, this is absolutely insane at what he's doing. And again, nothing against dryside, but the fact that this guy is chasing down history and he's already surpassed two legends already... In uh, Dion and Hall, I mean, th- 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 he is going to be—he should be the MVP in my opinion, and just because of the fact that he's chasing down history and what we're seeing right now is undeniable. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl is probably going to have another career year next year. Ovi deserves it this time around. That's just my two cents.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're all talking about how it might take him five seasons to to catch Wayne. Um, I man, think he I, does it four. He could. Hell, he could do it in three with the way that he's chugging along right now.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> truly incredible what he's been able to do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Ovi, I think the the greatest part of these last couple of weeks is, you know, watching him wave to his kid in the front row. And, uh, and Ovi throwing the
2: hat last game, too. Uh, oh, when he
1: just to incredible. Hat. Incredible. That's yeah, I mean... Amazing. We're going to be talking about this kid probably in the next uh, next 10 years. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> getting on the ice and, and chasing down his dad's record. Like, that's just, you know, that's just the way it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, Ovi Watch continues. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it again next week. I'm sure he'll have another Hattie at some point this week. <laughs> uh, that's just, you know, it's, it's Alexander Ovechkin. He's superhuman. Yeah.
2: I, I, I'm just trying to figure out when's his next game. And who is it against? I don't know. I'm. I'm we'll, we'll figure that out because we're probably going to talk about it, like you said, next week, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's.
1: <laughs> uh. I like. I said. I think. I think this is something that we're going to talk about every single episode now, just knowing what he's, uh, what he's capable of doing. And actually, they do play tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow being, uh, not Monday, Tuesday night against uh, the Panthers in Florida. That's so be fun. That'll be a fun one to watch, especially because the the Panthers are, are playing some incredible hockey right now. Um, as I mentioned off the top of the show, Washington's up there right now in terms of the league lead, in terms in in points and in, in point percentage. So, yeah, I mean, some great hockey ahead of him, but uh, I, he sets up in the office and he, he and he puts it in. That's that's just you know par for the course. But we're gonna close this show out with. A few not so pleasurable stories to talk about. Uh, we'll start off in Montreal as as the Canadiens uh, clean house and bring in Jeff Gordon as hired as director of hockey ops. Uh, Mark Bergerman is out. The whole team that uh, drafted Logan Mayu is out. Um, and this is this is an interesting one because Jeff Gordon, not exactly a French Canadian uh kind of changes the uh, the way that uh you know the Montreal Montreal Canadians are operating. Um just some interesting information going, you know, what are we, twenty what I say, twenty, twenty two episodes or games into the season?
2: Yeah. How about twenty games in, yeah. Um I mean this, I mean, this is a move that needed to be done. Frankly, it should have happened after they drafted Mayu, but you know, you, again, that go back and listen to our episodes about that because that's that was just inexcusable at what they did. Um, but yeah, twenty-three games in for the Habs, um, it, it needed to happen. I mean, uh, granted that you lost two key pieces in Price and Weber. Ah, uh, to start the season, they're integral to their success. There's no way doubt about that. But they let Di- the, they, they let walk too. I should mention. Yeah, that. let Dano walk. They paid a hefty price for Christian Dvorak, who really hasn't looked that great. Um, Cole Caulfield. I mean, you can't fault him, but he he, he was getting the brunt end of this. He was getting the short end of the stick by getting demoted, sent back to the AHL, and that's not entirely his fault. Um, the team was struggling and he was suffering because of it as well. Um, Jeff Petrie doesn't kind of look the same. Um, just, just what he tried to do to fix the holes. It didn't work out. And the moves that he made, it's, it's showing that, you know, they were kind of costing mistakes right now because. Yet he hadn't needed to make decisions and fill those holes. But he could have gone a better route and made better decisions and bring in better players. I mean, you basically let Kakaniemi walk because you weren't signing that offer sheet. There was no way that you were going to, but you lost a player that again you were basically rushed him into the league hoping that he would fill out and, you know, be the number one center that you would drafted him, and he didn't. So lots of lots of blame to go around here. A lot of mistakes, and I'm just going to close my comment off. It, there there is a video that I saw, or there was the video of Trevor Timmons when someone asked him about uh, Logan Mayu. He said um, he didn't want to be drafted. Why did you feel the opposite? And there was that 20 second pause, and awful, then he replies back. so awful. What made that a little what well, i i I found this funny is they inserted the curb your Enthusiasm music after he said, "Well, what do you mean by what I think of the opposite?" And then it goes straight into that with the credits of like Larry David, Jeff Garland, and everything like that. So, and i th- I think that was tweeted out by or I saw it from Mikey Mike Stevens from The Hockey News. And I think he said, "Let this be the last thing of Trevor Timmons's, uh career or tenure as a gm or something to that effect and i couldn't stop laughing at that because of the music and let's face it that was a joke of a statement like you 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 had no answer for that you had to wait
1: 20 seconds i mean and you're come, the director of player uh player development yeah or scouting or whatever assistant I mean, gm as well i think i think he yeah you were you you were in the position to make the decision and and you decided to go the route that you did i mean yeah. somebody's got to answer for it and the fact that he came up short with like you said a 20 second pause was it honestly it was an embarrassment it, yeah. it, it truly was an embarrassment um but i'm going to kind of run off that too goaltending hasn't been there i mean yeah. jake Allen was not is not a a starter at this point Sam Montembeau is is not a starter with a 365 goals against and an 897 save percentage. Um, you know you got Matthias Norlander who's played four games for them has one assist. You you know getting some of these young guys ice time, um, you know, is going to be key. Cole Caulfield not getting the ice time. Yeah, he struggled early, but I mean this team is not the same. Ryan Polder, Yeah. Uh, there's a guy who had you know. A great game against the Leafs industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, David Savard has come in. Four assists in 23 games, minus six. There's a guy that you were counting on to be a big piece. Uh, Matthew Perot, signed. Only only, only has played eight games so far this year due to injury. Uh, Mike Hoffman, another guy. 13 games, seven points through those 13 games, a minus nine. Um, you know Brendan Gallagher, ten points through twenty-two games. Christian Devork, as you mentioned, eleven points through twenty-three games, minus eleven. Josh Anderson leads the team with seven goals in twenty-three games. Nick Suzuki not quite living up to that uh, contract he just signed. Tyler Toffoli, another guy that you need to step up. And you mentioned that the losses of Shea Weber, uh, Carey Price, Kaito Um I mean, Bergevin was just. Not getting it done this offseason. Sim- simple, as that. I mean, yeah. you 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 had to know after the playoff run that you know they knew early. Carey Price wasn't going to be ready. They 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 didn't they exposed him in the the expansion draft because of it. Um, they knew that Shea Weber was not going to be ready. That likely he may not ever play again. You he was not ready to fill that hole. Um, caught Kaniemi. You had to know something was coming. <laughs> You have mm-hmm. to know. After you offer sheet Sebastian Aho, you have to know something's coming back your way. They were not ready to fill that hole. They let him walk. Um, I mean, the fact is this: this team was poorly run, uh, and 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 simply simply put, they run right into the ground. And this is a team that now is going to have to rebound and kind of rebuild at, at, at a certain point to get back to the level that they are. Or they were. And I, I think the run to the, the Stanley Cup final last season was a bit of a facade. I think, you know, people people looked at it and said, well, you know, this is a team that can compete now. And really, they aren't. Uh, yeah. Last season was, was a different season. They had the opportunity. They played in the Canadian division. Um, I'm not saying the Canadian division was easy, but they had a little bit more of a um path to the final and they they were able to to win in a timely fashion and that was it it was it was it was a little bit more of an easier run. they cannot compete in this Eastern Conference right now yeah they cannot compete they're not a playoff team they're not going to be a playoff team next year. I'll say that right now they have a lot of holes in this lineup and until somebody is put in that position to do the right thing and run this team properly, That's not going to change. And I'm not saying it's a French-Canadian. That's where the Montreal Canadiens need to step away from their belief system that it needs to be a French-Canadian to run this club and start focusing on making this club a legitimate contender in the NHL.
2: Yeah. And I also think, too, um, with Jeff Gorton coming in, I think, you know, you saw what he did with the New York Rangers and how he revamped that organization and filled their prospect pool with top talent. Um, I, I I think that with him taking the reins of the hockey operations department, I think they're in good hands. Now it's just him trying to figure out who's going to be the best fit. And because let's face it, you also I, honestly, I think you need to also revamp their scouting department, too, because, you um, this draft alone, this past draft, was really hit and miss, especially in the later rounds. Um, obviously, again, the Mayu pick was should not have happened at all. He um, got good picks in Oliver Kapanen, um, some other great names down the line as well, but um, those late-round picks, are they really going to amount to something? You hope so. Cause some of those names like Joshua Roy and Xavier Simono are obviously really great starts in the queue or have played really well in the queue so far. So you're banking on them possibly being late round picks that are going to have a significant impact for you in the future. But right now, I mean, bringing in Gordon I think it's a really good start for this organization though.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think they gotta, they gotta get the right, right names in the right places. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this this past draft really threw the team for a whirl. Um, you wasted a first round pick on a guy that potentially will never live up to that expectation. Yeah. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I, you know this is a team that that has a lot of a lot of holes to fill. And, and we've seen it as Leaf fans, we've seen yeah. this story before. Um, you know, shout out to all the the Montreal fans out there because we do feel your pain. Um, mm-hmm. We will laugh about it a little bit, but we do feel your pain. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of sh- jump away from the Montreal Canadiens because they've you know they're they're a team in turmoil right now, and jump to a couple of other teams in turmoil. Will be placed on waivers by the San Jose Sharks, uh, as well as uh, Matt Murray was placed on waivers by the Ottawa Senators. Murray has a uh, big contract in terms of what he's owed. Um, Kane, obviously the trouble that has kind of followed him from team to team is known to all. Are these two guys that we see again in the NHL at this, you know, at some point this season? I mean,
2: there was already talks that someone is going to take a flyer on Kane or talks that maybe they want to try and get him. I don't, I don't know who, um, I personally wouldn't, given the fact that, you know, based on all the off-ice issues and everything and all the things surrounding him, I probably wouldn't. Um, Matt Murray, um, it's it's a difficult situation for him because he, his, his is an injury situation as well because of the fact that, you know, he also dealt with COVID, too, Um we all know like what the, the effects of this virus and everything that it has. And maybe it took a toll on him. Um, Despite possibly, I, I mean, I want to say that the Ottawa senators are fully vaccinated with their uh, outbreak. So I'm hoping that he didn't have a severe bout with it, but maybe it impacted him overall, no matter what. And, you know, his contract 6.25. I mean, is are you really going to take a chance on that if you do I mean that that that's pretty hefty and this is a guy who's you know won a Stanley Cup with the Penguins right so i it's tough because he's had the success in the past it's just ever since 2016-17 looking at his numbers right now they just dipped so bad and it's i is i hope he's able to come back for a minute because he has shown that he's been or capable of being a top goaltender and a starter um yeah i I, both are really you know questionable but for different
1: reasons the Kane one doesn't surprise me i mean the fact that there's going to be a team out there that takes a waiver on this guy who's obviously had chance after chance after chance after chance i mean he faked a vaccine passport
4: and we're still gonna give him an
1: opportunity in this league it's just a fucking joke um but at the same time you know (laughs) he's a talented forward uh teams are looking for that and at the end of the day it's about winning and it doesn't matter what you've done in your past i mean i wouldn't be i wouldn't be shocked to see some team take a waiver on Mitchell Mitchell Miller at some point. And yeah. we know the shit that he did as well. So, um, Kane, I, I mean, I think it's an absolute joke that somebody brings him in and, and wants to put him in that dressing room. And yeah, he's a known cancer. Um, at the same time, you know, it doesn't surprise me in terms yeah. of Matt Murray, like uh, I'm going to say this. And I, with all due respect to Matt Murray, I think he was incredibly overrated from the day that he stepped on the ice. Um, I think what he did in Pittsburgh was based on the team that played in front of him, a team that was so used to playing in front of Marc-Andre Fleury that they were able to kind of, you know, put it on, put it in high gear and get the job done. And he did what he did. And
2: play like Fleury was in net.
1: And play like Fleury was in net. And, Because of that, Murray succeeded. Um, But what he's done in Ottawa, and and granted, there was talk that he did have a bout with COVID and that he's still dealing with some symptoms um, Mm -hmm. because of it. And if if that's really the case, uh, you know, I hope to hell that he gets better because... Yeah. You know, you don't want to hear any of these stories. We, we saw what happened with Marco Rossi. We don't want to see any more of these, these players kind of suffer. We don't want to see anybody really suffer with these, these COVID symptoms that are long-lasting. Um, that said, I mean, you put them in a position where it's a team that's not ready to win. They have a lot of talent. They have a lot of future upside. Um, but it's not a team that's ready to contend. And I think we saw more of the real Matt Murray in Ottawa than anybody saw in Pittsburgh. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: it doesn't surprise me that they weren't happy with what they got.
2: Yeah. I mean, even just from the trade and the contract extension itself, I think it, it was just too much of an overpayment considering the fact that his play did decline. And you saw that. And they still managed to give him the money. And granted, maybe he deserved it. But at that time, a lot of people were questioning it. And like you said, we're now seeing it right now because the Matt Murray from 2015, 16, 16, 17 is definitely not the same Matt Murray right now. And again, like I said, I I hope he recovers from, you know, whatever symptoms he had from COVID and that he gets back to the NHL because, you know, this is a guy who's put his heart into everything. And he deserves to be back at some point. But until then, the numbers, the play, the inconsistency, it, it, it it's really starting to catch up. And I think everything's just, you know, snowballing uh, or having that snowball effect
1: right now. I'll put it this way. He reminds me a lot of a Jake Allen, um, a guy that yeah. when it comes down to being competitive in net and, you know, you have somebody kind of pushing you to be better, he's going to be great. And, Um, Jake Allen had that in St. Louis and he was, he was great for a year, um, or, or, or two. Now he's in, he's in Montreal and we're not seeing the same Jake Allen that we saw in previous years. The same thing goes for a guy like Matt Murray. He, when he was in Pittsburgh and he had Marc-Andre Fleury behind him, he was, he was pushed to be his best. Even when he had Tristan Jari, like he was pushed to be his best. Now you see Matt Murray in Ottawa with so many question marks behind him. There's no expectation for him to be, you know, a number one goalie. And I could see him coming back as maybe a backup. I don't see him as a number one goalie in this league mm-hmm. right now. Definitely. Uh, lastly, before we shut this down, I know we're going on a little long here, folks. But uh, Claude Lemieux's wonderful son, Brennan Lemieux. Um decide to leave a couple bite marks on the son of another former NHLer or in, in uh, Brady Tichuck. And and if you look back on hockey fights, you'll find a, a lovely fight between Claude Lemieux and and uh, Keith Tichuck at one point uh in, during their playing days. Now there's a scuffle between Brady and Brendan, and Tichuck walks away or skates away rather with a couple bite marks. Um after Brendan Lemieux uh, allegedly left bite marks on Brady's hands. Um before I kinda go off on this, I wanna get your thoughts, Peter, on on the Brendan Brady the bite gate. Um
2: Honestly I'm glad Brady spoke up because I like to do that, that's just like, you know, the lowest of lows. Um it's just an absolute joke. So I'm glad that he spoke up with his comments. Um, that's all I'm going to say on this. But at the same time, someone sent the quote to Gilbert Gottfried on like a cameo web seminar thing, and he read the full quote of Brady Kachuk out loud. And obviously, if you, if you know Gilbert Gottfried, you know, Gilbert Gottfried, comedic legend, um because of his voice and the way that he like pronounces everything. He's just absolutely phenomenal and everything he says is hilarious. I laughed so hard when he was reading a full quote from Kachuk and it absolutely made my night. So if you want to see it, go see it. Gilbert Gottfried reading Brittany Kachuk's comment.
1: I'm definitely going to check that out after after that recommendation. Uh, (laughs) I hadn't seen that yet, but um, I so I, I'm going to say this. It's like, on my feed. Okay, it's on your feed. Okay, yeah. I will definitely <laughs> check that out. I, about the bite gate, I, I'm going to say this. Lemieux, to do something like that, I, I put it out there like there was there was a belief that, you know, Alex Burroughs did it back when the Vancouver Canucks played the Boston Bruins. I think it was in the mm-hmm. playoffs at one point, uh, Stanley Cup final, um, and, and Bergeron claimed that Bur- Burroughs had bit him. Um, and really nothing was done about it. Um, yeah. And now here we are, what, 10 years later, and you've got Brendan Lemieux biting you know, Brady to Chuck while yeah. he is laying on the ground. And it's just, this is absolutely asinine. Like, Brady said it perfectly. If you read the quote that Brady to Chuck released after the game, like, this is what babies do. Yeah. Right now, my 18 month old, he's getting new teeth. He's biting my wife's shoulder. OK, this is this is what this is what babies do. Um, it, what I found more more like intuitive in terms of understanding this whole situation was Scott Wheeler of the Athletic came out and said, uh, you know, it's true what people are saying about Brandon Lemieux and that the fact that people on his team do not like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Brady to was the one who said it like nobody on your team likes you. Um, there was stories coming out that, you know, when he was in junior, there was a staff member that he would walk by every game and, and basically bag beg him, like punch him in the nuts. Um, and then he'd shoot pucks at like goaltenders without helmets on. Like this guy's a fucking clown. Um, yeah. And for him to go and bite somebody at the NHL level just really tells the whole story of what this guy's all about. And I'll be honest, I interviewed Brendan Lemieux at his uh, his combine uh, during his draft year. And I thought, like, you know, to be, I mean, obviously you're Claude Lemieux's son, you know, you don't seem to take after your dad. Like, holy fuck, this kid takes exactly after his dad. <laughs> like come on the shit that you're pulling on the ice like you're a scrub fourth liner right now who can throw a couple hits maybe get a couple tucks throughout the year and you're going around biting people like are you fucking kidding me yeah i, I, I don't know I, I maybe maybe i'm going outside of my realm here but i just think Brendan Lemieux an absolute joke for trying to bite another player um, if you want to fight him, fight him. I I think Brady would give you you know, he'd feed you, he'd feed you fists. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like the NHL's got to deal with this. Like just deal with it. Just give him like you're in the midst of COVID still. You've got COVID breakouts going on, and here's a guy who at one point what I believe. You
2: in the penalty box, I think uh, Brady Kachuk had like a one of those wet naps, those like sanitizing uh, packets, and he was yeah. like rubbing it on his hand. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you go and do that of what's going
1: on right now. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, I I could be completely off base here. Like, I could just be making this shit up, but I'm pretty sure that Brendan Lemieux was one of the few players that did not want to get vaccinated to start the year. And if that's the case and he's biting somebody in the midst of COVID when you have the Islanders postponing games, you have the Ottawa Senators postponing games. Yeah. Like, you're fucking biting a guy? Come on. Grab a clue. And I hope
2: if he comes back that the L.A. Kings just throw him in the minors. Yeah, stick him on waivers with Kane and Murray. Let's see what happens. That to me is just like you know what you want to send a message. The Kings have better depth than uh, Brandon Le- Brandon Lemieux, anyways.
1: Absolutely, they, didn't, they, didn't, they
2: deserve it. a lost spot over him. Absolutely, that, that, and that's, that's that's me.
1: Yeah, and if it's true what you know what Scott Wheeler said and that players don't actually like him, like what are mm-hmm. you doing with him on your team then? Yeah, like get rid of him, get rid of him. Don't don't even have him in your room because he's bringing the team down. And and shit like this is exactly what you don't need if you're the LA Kings. That that and the silver helmets, anyways. Um,
2: oh my god, they're bad.
1: <laughs> they're awful. They're, they're bad. Are so bad. Even, even the golden knights' golden helmets, uh, are like come on. I can I can live with the golden helmets just because they look like fucking gold, but the sil- the silver helmets look like shiny tinfoil. And uh, also,
2: like the Liga, <laughs> the best player wears the gold helmet, so I think. Yeah kind of used to that at this point but yeah i think the silver i think the kings are just trying to rip off the knights at that point
1: yeah and i just i feel like in in the midst of of like with everything going on and you got all the conspiracy theorists out there you've got like a team (laughs) full of conspiracy theorists that's what i that's what i look at when i see them oh man (laughs) <laughs> oh anyways anyways we are we're going to cut this this one a little bit shorter because we did have such a long and fantastic interview with avery and sebastian yes um anything you wanted to add peter before we close out episode 63 of the pod
2: um the white fluffy stuff has come in the snow's here enjoy it if you don't like snow what is wrong with you that is me <laughs> Beautiful, yeah. No, I, I,
1: <laughs> I always wonder every every first snowfall every year, people forget to drive or forget how to drive. It's it's truly oh, yeah. incredible. Um, I don't know if they just overcompensate for having snow tires or maybe they don't have snow tires on and they just, you know, they don't know how to drive like legitimately. But uh, at the end of the day, drive safe. Yes. Get through the holiday season. Be smart. Don't drink and drive. Um, enjoy the family time because for the first time in a while, we're able to enjoy it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And because we're talking about family, shout out to Alex who couldn't be here with us tonight. Yes, um, this is a brotherhood. When we do podcasts together, it's a brotherhood. We have a weekly meeting where we get together and we just talk. Yeah, and uh, Alex, man, shout out to you. We can't wait to get you back next week.
2: Um, absolutely to, and one more thing i just want to add because it's the first day of hanukkah too so happy hanukkah out there
1: happy hanukkah yes happy hanukkah yes. to all our all our friends who celebrate that um you know it, yeah it's it's the holiday season guys be pleasant tip your waiters um, be happy be merry Be happy be happy <laughs> that's all you know that's what it's all about guys and and hopefully the least can continue to win for us um otherwise quick shout out to avery and sebastian again for yes. joining us thank you very much for coming mm-hmm. on we really appreciated you guys delivering a different perspective for us and and really just you know get uncomfortable folks hashtag get uncomfortable get out there have the conversation continue the conversation and tune into the third intermission podcast for shit's sake like give these guys some credit for what they do as well um until next week As always, thank you again for joining us for episode 63 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at P. Barricchini. You can follow Alex Hobson at A Hobson Media. Or you can follow myself at Andrew G. Forbes. Check out the podcast on Twitter at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E Six I X P O D. We continue to have a lot of winners and a lot of people taking part in the Sticks in the Six gold picks contest that we have yes. every night the leafs play so get involved in that shout out to our 400 followers that we have on twitter we continue to progress there as well yeah head over to spotify itunes wherever you download your podcast. subscribe rate review comment share our show uh we we appreciate you guys for tuning in and check us out on youtube and make sure you hit this the subscribe button there Thank you again to Ryan Zeus Fleming for the intro. And again, stay safe. Enjoy the holiday season. We love you guys. Until next week. That's it. Peter.